is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six. It's Wednesday. Oh, it was cold this morning. It was free. The, the short walk I have from the car to the entrance of Three Counties Towers. It was blooming freezing. I have to try and dig up my scarf. I've got no idea where that is. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including controversial plans announced today to tackle drunken mayhem on Britain's streets. Will more expensive booze put you off drinking? We're being told you should shun your car if a journey could be done in 15 or 20 minutes on foot or by bike. That's according to health experts. Well, would you welcome more cyclists on the roads of beds, hearts and bucks? And a 99-year-old Luton woman has been made to wait three hours for an ambulance. What's the longest amount of time you've had to wait for the emergency services? BBC Three Counties Radio. And just to throw another little thing into the mix, yesterday's breakfast, uh, you, you may be aware, was uh, a can of Coke. For medicinal reasons, a doctor had told me I t- had to drink caffeine, so I had some uh, fizzy pop and uh, a Twix and a Mars. Today, oh, I walked into uh, to the radio station, an email from Gareth Lloyd saying, cold pizza in the fridge. Oh! Now, considering I had pizza last night for my supper, I was still very excited. I went to the fridge... And I help myself. I've had four slices of cold pe- four slices of cold pizza. I know, I know, I, I know. And I'll tell you the reason why is because there wasn't much vegetarian pizza there. I'm a vegetarian. Sorry, sorry. I should have made that clear when I got the job. Sorry. A lot of you switching off now. Um, and I just wanted to get as much of it as I could before anybody else who may be a vegetarian on the team got in there. So uh, it, it just dawned on me that perhaps I'm, I'm not having the healthiest breakfast in the world. I just want a little thing on the text, if you wouldn't mind. Your best worst breakfasts. 81333, start your text 3CR. Your best worst breakfast. The best worst breakfast is cold curry. Oh, cold curry. Oh, look at... Work Experience Oli and Producer Laura, both making the uh, what I think is the retching uh, motion. It's hard to tell. It, that's the best thing you can have. A Sunday morning, when you wake up and you go, oh, we had curry last night. I wonder if there's any left in the fridge. You go and get it, bit of mayonnaise on top, wonderful. And you don't heat it up. No, 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 you don't heat it up. That would be rude. That's disrespectful to the chef. You eat it cold from the foil. I had to, um, for a long time, when uh, I, I got with my wife, um, she would throw away the, the leftovers of the uh, of the takeaway food, and I had to take her to one side and say, "You are wasting a blooming good breakfast there by throwing that away, young lady. Sort it out, otherwise you're out." So your best worst breakfast, please eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. I know you lot. You pretend that you're posh and you eat your bran flakes and your muesli, but I bet you've got some disgusting habits when it comes to breakfast. Tell me what they are, please eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR. Uh, you can also give us a call as well, 08459 455 555. Now, it looks like you're going to have to pay more for alcohol in the future. The government is expected to announce a minimum retail price for booze. It's hoped the increase will significantly reduce alcohol consumption and the problems associated with binge drinking. Health experts have favoured a price of 50 pence per unit, but David Cameron has indicated the government might prefer 40 pence. That means you'd pay a minimum of £4.40 for a bottle of wine and £1.12 for a can of beer or cider. Well, Richard Dodd is from the British Retail Consortium. They represent shops, I'm uh, reliably informed. Morning, Richard. <laughs> Morning. You represent right, yeah. shops, don't you? We certainly do, yeah, including all of the big supermarkets. So, w- will this have any impact on, on supermarkets and shops? 
Well, it's, it's about what it's going to do to customers. That's what really matters. And this actually isn't the answer. And this is the sort of great mistake in all of this. This is not the answer to irresponsible drinking. And I absolutely accept that there's a very small proportion of people uh, who drink to excess. And sometimes that's bad for their health. There may be uh, misbehavior associated with it. And that's certainly something that needs tackling. And retailers are absolutely engaged in doing their bit to tackle that. But legislating on price is not the answer. All it will do is force the vast majority, the rest of us who drink perfectly responsibly, to pay more than we need to. Richard, are you not just saying this because it would mean that the, the companies and the shops that you represent, that they won't be able to do their bog-off deals and their cans of beer for however little... They, you know, it's going to affect the shops negatively. Well, it's going to affect, as I've just said, it's going to affect customers. But what about the and, shops? And what what retailers are doing is a whole range of things which are making a difference and for example total alcohol consumption in this country is actually already coming down and the government's own figures show that that the proportion of people who are drinking below its recommended maximum limits that's improving as well so we're moving in the right direction retailers are are funding the drink aware campaign they're running challenge 25 to prevent but they do still you do go into supermarkets they're putting putting below your limits unit labeling on products but richard all those things and they are working Richard, on price Richard, you, you, you know, if we go into supermarkets, though, we'll see all these um, b- cans of Fosters for however much, but buy one, get one free, b- 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 bottle of red wine, get a bottle of white wine free. That's kind of what supermarkets thrive on, isn't it? That's about offering value to customers on alcohol products. Is it responsible? As, just as supermarkets do on everything else. Yeah, as I've just been explaining, supermarkets are the most responsible that, sellers of alcohol is, that there are. Because irresponsible drinking hear me? Is, not a, is not about price. And, and legislating to force prices up is not going to change it. It's a cultural issue. And so it's about right. using education and information to change the culture. And that's what Is it responsible, to Richard, to have buy one, get one free on booze? Well, why would it, why would it not be? It's about because offering, there are people with, with alcohol problems. To customers. But there, 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 there are problems with alcohol consumption in this country. There are teenagers that, that, are, that are drinking. Uh, is that responsible, to offer buy one, get one free? Not, see, it's perfectly responsible. You're not telling me that people who, who drink to excess, including you know, that minority of young people who maybe misbehave at the weekend in town centres, you're not telling me that their behaviour is driven by... Not driven, but encouraged. ...supermarkets offer, or... <laughs> Not driven, but encouraged. Will, will change, or that misbehaviour will disappear. Not driven. You legislate on I'm, I'm trying to have a conversation, Richard. Not driven, but encouraged. It's not encouraged. No, well, of course no. it is. The, the, that, that of course sort of, it that is. That sort of behaviour, which involves a small minority yeah. of people, has cultural causes, and that's what we need to overcome. But part of, the culture is, part of the culture is that in some supermarkets, it's buy one, get one free. And of course, like, listen, if I was a teenager, and uh, I don't drink now, but if I was a teenager and I was, was drinking, and there was a supermarket that was offering, by uh, six cans of Fosters, you get another six free, then I'd think, hey, party on, guys, or whatever I would say as a teenager, let's get, let's get this down our necks. Of course, it's, it's not helpful, is it, to the situation? We, we already have um, the highest alcohol taxes in Europe. So okay. uh, we've already got the government uh, influencing price in that way. And you're quite right. There's a, min- minority, a minority of people who don't drink uh, responsibly, despite the fact that we've got those highest right. alcohol taxes. We shouldn't be demonising alcohol. We should accept that it is a part of life and we should be encouraging a responsible, healthy attitude to it rather than saying, let's, you know, let's restrict it, let's 
stop okay, promotions. Is- Let's use the law to force up prices. And as I said back at the beginning, yep. the, the result of that, the significant result, will be yep. that the vast majority of us who buy uh, a few bottles of wine or whatever, a few cans of beer as, as part of our regular weekly shop and take it home, drink it perfectly responsibly, we will end up being denied access to discounts and having to pay more. Richard, I'm going to end it there, partly because... Uh, uh, I, I, I'll give Richard the benefit of the doubt and assume that maybe he couldn't hear when I, when I was asking him a question because he managed to avoid pretty much every single question that I put to him there. That was Richard Dodd. He's from the British Retail Consortium. Uh, what do you think? 08459 455 555. Do you give the thumbs up to increasing uh, the basic cost of alcohol? After seven, we're going to be speaking to Dr Andrew Thompson, who supports the increase, and Peter Spence from the Adam Smith Institute, who says the government's decision to set a minimum price is based on flawed data. But, but what do you think, dear listener? If alcohol costs more, will it put you off drinking? 08459 455 555 That was a fun start to the show, wasn't it? I don't think you could hear me. What a fun start to a show. An argument followed by the OJs. It doesn't get much better than that. I've been asking you for your best, worst breakfasts. You are a dirty lot. Loads of you have been uh, tweeting me saying, oh yes, the cold pizza. Dean has tweeted me. Best, worst breakfast. Barbecue spare ribs and rice leftovers. Oh, <laughs> Dean! Dean, you totally take the crown with that, you mucky pup. Lots on the go this morning. Uh, but uh, listen to this. You shouldn't use your car if a journey could be done in 15 or 20 minutes on foot or bike. We all do it, don't we? We all... We all oh, I'm going to pop to the shops. Oh, it's a bit chilly. I'll... I'll take the car. We've done that, haven't we? Of course we have. Would never cycle. Would never cycle. On occasion, I might walk. But, you know, there's always... I'm in a rush and... Uh, well, anyway, according to the health body, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, if, if we're doing that, we're putting our health at risk. It said the approach was needed to combat the silent epidemic of inactivity posing a risk to your health. Schools and workplaces should also be encouraged to get more pupils and staff cycling and walking. They also say you should be charged more to park your car to encourage you to walk. Oh, hang on a second. I see where this is going now. Most of the pupils at Verulam School in St Albans either bike or walk to school. In fact, being driven to school is the exception. I just like cycling just for the joy of it. Most of the time I'm quite slow getting up and awake and it just gives me a shorter time to get to school and it gets me here on time. It's stopping pollution from the world as well. Not driving about in cars or filling up on petrol completely eco-friendly yeah i don't really like walking i find it a bit dull and cycling's really quick if you go in cars it's gonna pollute more but cycling it's eco-friendly yeah people are generally quite nice on the roads around here i bike every day because i don't have to rely on anyone to take me anywhere if i need to do something after school then i could just sort of go there also my mum sometimes she'd get a lift with her colleague and so sometimes i need to cycle it basically means she doesn't need to sort of worry about taking me to school when she needs to go to her work sometimes i do it for fun or sometimes for fitness i like it it's just fun instead of walking i get tired but when i cycle i actually have a challenge or just like drooping and get soaked if it's raining so this what we're in today the rain doesn't bother you no i do lots of things in the rain like sport and all that so i get used to it yeah i enjoy it and it's just quicker than walking so you don't need to get your mum involved but happy days for her yeah 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 walking does take a bit of time it takes about half an hour for me and then cycling's just 
half that time. Sometimes I walk if I have time, but I'm in the same situation as Josh, so it takes about half an hour to walk and 50 minutes to cycle, so it's much quicker. Both my parents work full-time. You know, they can't really take me, so I either walk or I cycle. And, you know, I decide to cycle because it's quicker and it's more healthy as well. It's just more convenient, really. Yeah, you get home earlier. What do you do when you get home earlier? Oh, I do homework or have a bit of time off. Things have changed since my day. <laughs> what, 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 uh, listen, if they're the future of the country, then we're, we're in fine fettle. I'm not sure that's that. That's <laughs> I agree with anything they were saying. It, uh, listen, I've got a bike. I bought a bike for me and my wife uh, each, not one between us each, about four years ago. We've used it three times. Well, a, a quick survey, dear listener. How long has your bike been in your shed or down the side of your house? Can you beat four years? Oh, eight, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Uh, Justin Dealey's at Luton train station. Morning, Justin. <laughs> Ian, we need to get a tandem together. And those kids, oh. wow, they're so keen, aren't they? They, they're incredible. Were, weren't they keen? Absolutely. It won't, listen, I remember being an idealist when I was young, and then I uh, grew up, and I realised <laughs> it didn't work. Have you got a bike, Justin? Uh, yes, it's got a flat tyre. When was the last time you used it? How long has it been um, in, in waiting? About five years now. Oh, five I got years. It for Christmas, and to, yep. to be quite honest with you, and I'm being honest here, I would prefer to be in my car yep. all day long. It's because I feel safer. Yep. I just feel genuinely safer. No, it's, Justin, it's because you feel safer and because you're very, very lazy. We (laughs) we know that. Why are you at Luton Station? Well, I'm here because the the cycle rack at Luton train station is very, very popular with commuters. I've been talking to Daniel Goddard. Now, he cycles two and a half miles to the station five days a week. Ian, he's serious. Take a listen to this. Well, here's Daniel, who's looking very snazzy this morning. Tell our listeners what you're wearing, first of all. Oh, gosh. uh, I'm wearing a bright yellow jacket, uh, a a crash helmet with a light on on, on that, and... uh, Black leggings and some quite garish shorts. Yeah, very nice, by the way. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> the ladies were lovely this morning. So, how long have you been cycling here to Lucent Train Station? Um, just over two years, two and a half years, maybe. And what made you make that decision in the first place? Uh, I really started because they set up the Boris bikes or the Barclays bike system in London, where I work, uh, and I started to use those. And I thought, well, I might as well uh, work, ride from home to, to the station as well. Uh, I enjoy it, and, uh, and it's cheaper as well, to be clear. You see, the thing that puts me off is the safety. I know you got your crash helmet this morning, but I do feel a lot more safe in a car. Do you think more people need to get over that and just go and do it? I think, y- yes, but equally, you know, you've, you've got to be aware of what's going on around you. You know, there, there are good cyclists, there are bad cyclists. I see quite bad cycling in London at times. Uh, equally, there are by there are bad drivers, people who are inconsiderate of cyclists. So, you know, we've all, we all use the roads. Most cyclists are drivers, so you know, you, you we we all know how to use the roads. At least we should do, and uh, and I think there is enough room for everybody. A couple of final points to you. What would you say to any of our listeners who are maybe screaming at the radio, saying this man should be paying insurance to be on his bike? What would you say to those people? Uh, I do pay insurance you to do? be on my bike. Yeah. Wow, you're yeah. one of a kind, then, aren't you? Well, I, I don't know, but um, I, I've got an insurance uh, through the CTC, so it's third-party insurance. Um, you know, you've got to do these things mm. properly. Yeah, absolutely, doing things the right way. And a final word on the trains. Obviously, you're a commuter as well. The price is going up today. We don't know by how much just yet, but but any sort of increase as far as you're concerned is is wrong i'm sure well yeah you know it's it's not only trains it's uh, energy prices you know I, I don't know where they expect us to get the money from mm. you know yeah you know, i'm i'm fortunate i've i've got a reasonable job on that but i haven't got a bottomless pit you know my, my pockets do finish somewhere um, i've taken enough of your time you're about to go and get stripped off and get on the train thank you very much indeed okay all the best
He's going to get go. stripped off and get on a train. He is, Disgusting. Yeah. He, he is the Ian. He is the real deal. When he walked up the stairs, there he was in all of his gear. I thought, there you go. There is somebody who is a, a very keen cyclist. But I'll tell you what I'm interested in this morning, Ian. Yes. And uh, Daniel was saying there that that he does have insurance. He shocked me. How many other cyclists listening this morning actually have insurance? I've never heard of that before. Is he a one-off? He must be. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Listen, he's only like a nice chap. My father-in-law is a cyclist. I always find with cyclists, Justin, there's a real there's a real kind of smugness about yeah. them. <laughs> because they're saving the environment, they yeah. are being a- eco-friendly. There's all this just kind of arrogance that they think they're better than car drivers. It's never going to go away. The cyclists, they hate the motorists. The motorists hate the cyclists. I don't think wh- whatever we do in this country, we are ever going to get over that barrier. But for me, cycling, it's a big no-no. I'd love to say this weekend I'm going out cycling, but I just don't feel safe. That's just my personal opinion. Where, where would we get a tandem from? Um, we can get one quite easily. Some Somebody somewhere will have a tandem in bed, Salts and Mugs. There's got to be somebody listening with a tandem, surely. Can we can we borrow someone's tandem and Justin <laughs> and I will go out on a little ride and see what it's like? I'm, I'm going in the front. I don't want to look at oh, that. Oh, please let me go on the front. No, Come on. I don't want to look at that. Where, where, you're off somewhere else now, are you, Justin? Yeah, where are you going? Luton train station. I'm about to get on a train. Obviously, we, we, we kind, of, kind of mentioned briefly there about these prices. Um, season ticket prices will be announced later on today. They will be going up, but, but how much we don't know just yet. I'll be talking to commuters because they are paying a fortune already. Just how much longer can they continue to pay these prices justin thank you very much indeed so a couple of things would you like to see more cyclists on the roads of beds hearts and bucks can we find the the longest my my bike has been down the side of my house for four years unused justin's has been in his shed for five years how long has your bike been lying there unused 81333, starting your text 3CR, 08459 And very quickly, on your best, worst breakfasts, Jen of Houghton Regis, I could never face cold leftover pizza for breakfast. Well, shame on you. Try pate on toast instead. Oh, you're far, you're far too posh for me. Far too posh. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up... Find out why a 99-year-old woman had to wait, get this, three hours for an ambulance. And if you remember yesterday, we were talking about the parking wardens in Kings Langley, where they're parking in disabled spaces. Well, today, we're going to find out whether Decorum Borough Council can do anything about it. All that, as well as your best, worst breakfast, and how long has your bicycle been sat in your shed unused? Four years for me. Five years for Justin Dealey. Can we beat that? 81333, starting your text 3CR, 08459 455 555. Or, if you go to the Facebook page, you can have a little say there and you can see me chomping on my cold pizza. Why would you not want to see that? That guy that used to be on the telly eating cold pizza, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can't go wrong with a little bit of Fleetwood Mac, can you? No, you can. Well, you can. You, you can. You have to tread fairly carefully. But there are three pretty solid albums. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, Rumours, Tango in the Night. And what the hell? I'll even throw Tusk in there. Huh? I'll even throw Tusk in there for you. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. A 99-year-old woman from Luton was made to wait over three hours for an ambulance after falling in her bathroom and breaking her hip and collarbone. The family of Gladys Jenkins understand the str- uh, that the stress of waiting for paramedics also led to her suffering a heart attack. 
Although she was living in sheltered accommodation, her carer was unable to lift her due to health and safety rules. Well, her son-in-law, David Jackson, will be joining us in the studio later on. But first, Gary Applin joins us. Gary is from the, uh, uh, sorry, is the East of England Ambulance Branch Secretary for Unison. Morning, Gary. Good morning. Now, the East of England Ambulance Service has told us that Gladys Jenkins' condition meant that she was graded a green four. What does, what does that mean? Um, I'm, to be fair, I'm a little bit confused about it. I believe it's, um, it, it's, it, I might be wrong, but I believe it's a, a class of call that means it doesn't get an eight, eight minute response, doesn't get a 19 minute response. I might be wrong on that, but it's, it's certainly not, not at the higher echelons of, of, of grading. Okay, so so it's it's not the most serious, but you would expect to to, to, to get a, a, an ambulance out what with, within an hour? Absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. Um, it's 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 a tra- it sounds like a tragic sort of incident to be perfectly fair. She didn't get a response for three hours, Gary. Why why, why do you think this happened? I think it's it's because the resources are stretched um, at breaking point. We've got massive hospital delays, so obviously if you've got a patient on board, you can't just leave the patient there you have to hand over and there's there's time spent waiting in queues at hospitals um too meant too much reliance on on rapid response cars um not enough of the double manned ambulances um staff sickness without a shadow of a doubt um lots of contributing factors unfortunately it's it's pretty worrying isn't it listen whenever i've had to call an ambulance out gary they have always come i've only had to do it a few times so far touchwood they have always come out double sharpish and have been fantastic but if if we're in the situation where a 99 year old woman who's fallen and broken her hip doesn't get a call out doesn't get an ambulance for three hours that's, that's kind of worrying isn't it if that are you saying that that's the way things are going generally in the ambulance service well i'm from what I'm hearing, from what I'm seeing, certainly from my own perspective, um, it, it seems to be that the, the norm is now an extended delay. Um, certainly, with regards to the hospital delays, it, it's just—it's more the norm to wait extended times at hospital. And obviously, if we're there, we can't be out looking after patients who, who require like, like this poor lady, unfortunately. What can be done to improve ambulance response times? Is there anything? Uh, well, they need to look at their their resourcing. The the amount of money that the government have asked us to or asked trust to uh, to 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 uh, uh, cut basically um, has to be looked at because obviously if we if we're losing money, then we can't afford to put the the staff and the vehicles and the resources out there. Um, it, it's it's a, a vicious circle. They need to look at their resourcing. Need to look at the amount of money that's being asked to cut. And they need to look at staff morale and, and all, all sorts of things that go into the same pot. It's all contributing. You talk about staff morale. Mm. Uh, you sound pretty miserable about the whole situation. Is that, is that the kind of general feeling amongst your colleagues? Absolutely. I'm, I'm immensely frustrated. Um, and, you know, I, I'm quite unhappy that a job that I joined because I love to do it is now, you know, under such spotlight. And it's also... Uh, you know, the, the suffering of patients, you know, we're there to help patients. And when, you know, things like this happen, it, it just, it makes you even more concerned, to say the least. Gary, have you heard anything about the privatisation of ambulance services? Is, is that a possibility? Well, I mean, we're, we're firmly against privatisation of any public services, as you can appreciate. But, um, you know, there is a, a reliance, shall we say, on the use of private ambulance services within our trust at the moment. Um, we don't like it. We oppose it. Um, we believe that, publics, that it should stay within the public sector, within the NHS, because that's what, you know, 
we signed up to many years ago when the NHS was formed. And, and we believe that, obviously, we're, we're able to do the best job for the patients. Is, is the public safe, Gary, do you think, or are lives at risk? Well, I, I'm, I'm always going to say they're going to be safe. However, you know, if, if the government and, and, you know, commissioners continue to cut the amount of finances, it's, it's not going to do very good for, not going to be very good for the public. You know, it's got to be, there has to be some sort of, of, of problem created, unfortunately. Do you still get, do you still turn up for, for jobs and it's some silly so-and-so has just got their fingers, you, you, you know what I mean, it's, it's something that an ambulance perhaps isn't appropriate for, do you still get those? Uh, sometimes, not as much as we used to, but we do still sometimes get that and obviously, you know, education is needed on what you know, people should press 999 for. I mean, you know, we are, we are a, a resource that is unfortunately under an awful lot of pressure and, and calls that we don't need to be going out to. Um, they, need to be, they need to be stopped, really. Gary Aplin, thank you very much. He's the East of England Ambulance Branch Secretary for Unison. Uh, and we will, will be speaking uh, later on to uh, David Jackson, who's Gladys Jakin's son-in-law. He'll be joining us a little bit later in the studio. We do have um, a couple of statements to read out. The East of England Ambulance Service has told us it, that it received a 999 call at 11.04am. And the call was graded a green four, which means it's not life-threatening and requires a response within 60 minutes. It also said uh, it received four further calls from the patient address they were also graded green for calls they've told three counties that unfortunately on this occasion we did not meet this response time frame the ambulance arrived at 2 11 p.m so for three hours it's incredible isn't it when we asked why this happened a spokesman told us that during the call our control room clinician spoke directly with the patient's district nurse who said the patient had fallen and there were no injuries the patient was fully conscious and breathing throughout they added we do our very best to get to patients within the appropriate time frame but sometimes this is a challenge if we're busy elsewhere the trust is however currently planning resources better to fit in where and when demand lies in an effort to improve response time also got a quick statement from Luton Borough Council which runs the sheltered scheme where Gladys Jenkins lives they say we contacted the emergency service immediately in response to mrs jakins activating the emergency alarm this is in line with our policy staff provided the immediate care required to make mrs jakins comfortable until the ambulance service arrived wow she was 99 years old she was on the floor for over three hours that just doesn't seem real what are your um uh, uh, stories about calling out the ambulance i've only done it a few times uh, in my life and um yeah, they've been there. They've been there literally within minutes. You know, I'm sure once I was I was barely put the phone down and the siren was coming round the corner. A couple of quick tweets uh, on the longest time you've had a bike sitting in your shed. Dave James says, uh, redundant bike, nine years. I bought it while I was drunk on Bid Up TV. <laughs> I used it twice. And the worst breakfast, according to Daniel Jackson, my best worst breakfast was a potato dog. What? A sausage. R- Oh, wow. A sausage wrapped in mashed potato and deep-fried? Such food like that exists? Breakfast of champions. Oh, very naughty. Very naughty. Greg Scott on Twitter. My worst breakfast is ITV's Daybreak. My best is Ian Lee on 3CR. Oh, you listen, flattery will get you absolutely everywhere, Greg. Of course it will. Send that man a car... What do they call it? Car stickers. Do you remember they used to do that on radio all the time? No, we won't. Don't worry. Morning, this is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. You can get in touch. You can either give us a call about any of the things we're talking about, including best worst breakfasts, 
We're intrigued by this this hot dog in mashed potato. It's kind of wrong, but it's kind of right at the same time. Uh, the, the longest time you've had a, an unused bicycle. Mine's been four years down the side of my house, unused. Justin Dealey's has been five years. We had someone uh, get in touch. This has been nine years. Can we beat that? Uh, and also, with your ambulance stories. What's the longest you've had to wait? You can get in touch by phoning 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can go to the Facebook page and kind of post up. What's good on, on the Facebook page is it's starting to take off now. And a lot of you are arguing amongst yourselves. <laughs> it's, it's great fun. I have it up during the show, so I'm watching you kind of argue amongst yourselves and disagree and it's wonderful it's wonderful you can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr now yesterday uh, on the show we told you about traffic wardens in kings langley who are parking illegally while they're dishing out tickets the mp for hemel Hempstead says he's had enough mike penning has uh, has been handed photographic evidence of enforcement vans in disabled bays across gateways and in bus stops while local businessmen jeff falkins and mark morehouse they're also fed up with it and they told bbc three counties uh, parking correspondent justin dealey just what's been going on well the traffic wardens do their job properly through the day we have no problem with that in the evenings, however, about quarter to seven, ten to seven, they've been coming and parking illegally themselves in a bus bay to ticket people who might park there to go to one of the local restaurants that, in the village. But they also park across gates, on zigzags in front of a pedestrian crossing, which is dangerous and restrictive, and then they issue tickets. We've also seen them parking in a disabled bay during the middle of the day, obstructing cars from using the disabled bay. And when challenged, they've said to us, quote-unquote, we can do what we want. And we think that's wrong, and our MP thinks that's wrong as well. So we've been complaining because it dissuades people from coming to the village and using the services and availability of the shops here. Mark, you've got photographic evidence. Tell us what you've seen here in Kings Langley. Well, it was actually on the 27th of September at about half past three. I saw this moped pull up into the disabled bay and the guy got off it removed his crash helmet, put on his peak cap for the the parking restrictions and proceeded to wander up and down the high street. I'm a smoker, I was sitting outside watching what was going on and I saw three cars, all of which had disabled badges clearly visible, wanting to park in the disabled bay which is outside Boots the Chemist for a specific reason. Because of the scooter being there, they could not park there. Now, that to me is is, is fundamentally wrong. I grew up in Kingsland and we've never ever had a parking problem and as Jeff says to me it's all about revenue raising it's not about traffic management well they're obviously very upset there well now we've got Julie Laws from uh, Decorum Council and is the council member responsible for parking morning Julie good morning it's a bit naughty isn't it what, sorry it's a bit naughty isn't it what's naughty what the, the parking wardens are doing um, by nature of, of the job um, parking enforcement officers need to go places where parking is difficult in disabled to... bays they park in disabled bays um, well, they, they do have to park near where the uh, parking restrictions that are in place. So they park in the so one they, disabled bay there is? Uh, not outside, necessarily. Outside we, Boots. That's the story we've just heard there. There's one bay outside Boots, uh, disabled parking, and they park in there. We encourage um, our, our officers... Could to, you just answer that? Because there's a reason, isn't there, that they have a disabled parking bay outside a, a chemist, isn't there? There certainly is. So yes. disabled people can get easy access to medication. Uh, exactly. Yes. So those. What about those wardens that are parking in that disabled bay? It takes about six minutes to issue a penalty notice, uh, and during this time, it's best that they do not take up spaces. So you think it's acceptable? Produce. You think it's acceptable for these parking wardens to park in the one disabled parking bay outside a chemist? 
I wouldn't say that is an acceptable thing to do. What are you going to do um, about but it? But we advise CEOs to park as close to vehicles as okay. possible for their own safely, but, uh, safety. But you, so when, you're contradicting yourself then. So you're saying that it is acceptable for them to park in the one disabled parking bay outside a chemist? No, I'm not saying it's acceptable. What will you do to, do to stop it, it then? We, we instruct our, um, uh, our civil enforcement officers um, to park... Well, they are Julie, to park in parking restrictions to carry out their duties. Julie, take off, take off your council hat for a second and <laughs> talk to me like a human being. Come on, let's have a conversation, for goodness sakes, right? Tell them to stop parking in that one disabled parking bay outside a chemist. We do advise them to... No, don't advise them, tell them! But we can tell them, but we do always consider the needs of other road users when doing so. So we do have to ensure that they are parking safely and... Julie, come on, listen, we're so close to having a human conversation here. You know, you know that it is morally wrong for, for a parking warden to park in the one disabled parking bay outside a chemist. You know that's morally wrong. Tell them to stop doing it. Okay, I can assure you that we do advise um, the civil enforcement officers to park safely. And I will, speak, I will ensure that their officers speak to them to ask them not to be parking in that so, bay outside Boots and King's Lane. This is, this is, this is progress. Julie, this is progress. So you're, are you saying that they won't be parking in that disi- disabled bay outside the Boots anymore? I can't say completely that they won't oh. be. What I can Tell say, them not to! We, I have just said I will ask them and advise them okay. not to, but we have to ensure... That they are safe. That they are safe. No, you don't, Julie. What you have to ensure is you have to ensure that disabled people who have who, whose needs, I'd say, are far more important than you getting some revenue for parking tickets are able to get in and out of, of a chemist safely. That's what you should be ensuring as a member of the council. We That's far more important than slapping parking tickets on cars, and you know it is. Morally, it is. I'd agree with you, Ian. Then, then stop is. them. You, you are responsible for parking. You're the council member responsible for parking. Tell those wardens not to park there. I think I just did say earlier that I would speak to them and ask them and inquire about this, this, okay. this incident and inquire as to why that did happen. And I, Ian, I'm very happy to, happy to come back to you um, and explain that to you, uh, why that particular incident um, occurred. OK, Julie, well, listen, we'll, we, can we check up on it in a, couple of, in, in a week's time mm-hmm. and make sure that they're not parking there anymore? I will be able to advise you more then, yes. All right, we'll speak to you. I'll speak to you in a week. Julie, I appreciate you taking your hat off. You can put it back on now. Thank you. And thank you for having a proper chat. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you very much. Bye-bye. There we go. It's Julie Laws from the Decorum Council. Council member responsible for parking. We got there in the end. You see, that was good. Thank you, Julie. You see? We will will speak to her in a week, and we will find out what's the latest on that one. There's loads of other parking spaces as well that we need to talk about, and we'll address that next time. But that was the one that I was keen to focus on. It's important that that people who uh, have needs can get in and out of a chemist safely. Of course it is. Of course it is, for their medication and things like that. Thank you, Julie. Did you listen to the Jonathan Vernon Smith show yesterday with Nadine Doris on? It was fa- we'll play a bit of it later on. It was it was fantastic. Oh, it was uncomfortable. They both gave as good as they got. Anyway, we'll talk more about that after the news. Morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Four minutes past seven. It's Wednesday the 28th of November. It's blooming cold. Isn't it? Oh, freezing. Lots coming up in the next hour, including the government calls time on cheap booze. It's due to announce minimum pricing for alcohol. Will more expensive booze put you off drinking? 
You should shun your car if a journey could be done in 15 minutes on foot or bike, according to health experts. Really? Well, my bike has been in my shed unused for four years. How long has yours been redundant for? And I've had a wonderful breakfast of cold pizza. What's your best, worst breakfast? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or... You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it looks like you're going to have to pay more for booze in the future. The government is expected to announce a minimum retail price for alcohol. It's hoped the increase will significantly reduce alcohol consumption and the problems associated with binge drinking. Health experts have favoured a price of 50 pence per unit, but David Cameron has indicated the government might prefer 40 pence. That means you'd pay a minimum of £4.40 for a bottle of wine and £1.12 for a can of beer or cider. Well, we've got Dr Andrew Thompson, who's a GP, a member of the British uh, Medical Association. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. We've also got Peter Spence from the Adam Smith Institute. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Ian. Uh, Doctor, we'll start with you first. As a GP, you support the minimum price. Why is that? Uh, yeah, but I support the minimum price because uh, uh, our country's unhealthy relationship with alcohol um, is something that I see every day when I'm sitting in my surgery and, and seeing patients. Um, you know, we've got a, a huge uh, problem with alcohol in this country, and the uh, cost of the taxpayer is approximately £20 billion per year from excess drinking. This is both a huge financial cost, but importantly, it represents a, an equally large and tragic human cost of alcohol use. 40 pence, though, it, 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 is it really going to achieve anything? Surely it's just a token gesture. Well, certainly, certainly 40 pence is, is lower than, uh, than uh, we would have hoped for. Um, but certainly setting of a minimum price on alcohol um, certainly would put a barrier in the way of the uh, gross sort of underselling and deep discounting of alcohol that uh, occurs in, in areas of the off-trade, um, which leads to uh, the unhealthy relationships with alcohol that develop. What kind of um, drink problems are you seeing as a doctor? Uh, I see a, a full range of drink problems, whether this is uh, people who are drinking uh, in excess of uh, recommended limits, and this leads to, to health problems such as high blood pressure, diabetes, um, and liver problems, um, to, to those that alcohol has, has had serious effects uh, socially, causing sort of marital uh, breakups, difficult relationships, problems at work, um, and large number of uh, lost days from work. So there's a, a huge range of problems that alcohol can, uh, can cause, and it's important that we tackle uh, this unhealthy relationship with alcohol that the UK currently has. Peter Spence from the uh, Adam Smith Institute. You, you, you say that the government are making this decision uh, about minimum price using flawed data. Absolutely. We released a report on Monday by a health statistician which showed that the, the model the government are using, the Sheffield Alcohol Policy Model, is based on data from other countries, it's based on data where they've made up the numbers. And if you put in made-up numbers, you've got to get made-up numbers out. We're not sure that what the government are claiming about this in terms of health benefits uh, will happen at all. In fact, the evidence probably suggests that people don't uh, affect their alcohol purchasing that much when price changes. What it will really hurt are the people who are on tight budgets who won't be able to afford to drink at home. Dr. Thompson is a, is, is a doctor, Pete, and he says that it's, it's a good idea. Sure, but um, the government is talking about evidence-based policy, and it really won't affect uh, things in the way they're saying it will. I mean, David Cameron is suggesting this. He's on a wage of over £140,000 a year, and he won't be affected by uh, a minimum price like this one. What we'll expect is exactly what we've just heard, that this will go up from, from 40p or whatever it comes in at to 80p, a pound, 
higher and higher and higher to have any effect at all. And that will really just affect those who are on tight budgets, uh, struggling to get by and won't be able to enjoy alcohol anymore. Dr. Peter makes a good point, doesn't it? It's, 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 only gonna, it's not going to affect the majority of people. It's just those that are perhaps struggling to, to pay for things anyway. Well, actually, there, there is evidence that uh, even for people who are on uh, higher incomes, that uh, they, they do respond to their, their purchasing um, practices uh, based on price. Um, and actually, it will have a, a very small effect on, on moderate drinkers. Um, at the moment, you and I are, are already paying an enormous amount in tax to deal with the tragic consequences and burdens of alcohol use in this country. So actually, this may have some positive effect on, on, uh, on, the, on our purses. Um, I think it's, it's really important, though, that, uh, I mean, things like the Sheffield model has been subject to rigorous peer review over, over years, as opposed to, to sort of uh, other reports that uh, are sort of littered with some misunderstandings of, of the whole purpose of this. What we need to focus on is the fact that we need to, to sort of move forward with minimum pricing to start uh, gaining the, the health benefits that this will hopefully deliver as part of a package of measures uh, to improve our relationship with alcohol. Peter, you, t- you tweeted this morning, right, quote, My housemates and I would drink cheap Sainsbury cider at uni with a film. We liked it. It was cheap fun. If booze was more expensive, would that put you off? What it would have done at university and to anybody on a tight budget would have meant that we'd spent less on other things, so less on heating during the winter, less on good quality food. And I mean, I'm sure as a doctor, uh, you know, other people are, or, or other people are worried about quality of food we're having as well. And what this would just affect is making sure that we get the same amount of alcohol, but spending less on other things. Well, hang on, if people are prioritising, um, you know, a bit of Thunderbird or some booze over uh, uh, get, getting decent food, then that's their problem, isn't it? Well, it, yeah, it's, it's also, you know, the problem of people uh, who, who want to drink themselves. But, I mean, this whole moral panic about alcohol is, is really exaggerated. So, um, in the last 10 years, alcohol uh, consumption has fallen in the UK. We're in the middle of the packs countries already for how much we drink. And we have the highest alcohol prices, pretty much. We're in the top there as well. So, all these uh, sort of initiatives in terms of alcohol duty and minimum unit price, uh, they don't seem to have much effect. We're still drinking in the middle of the uh, European Union countries. Pete, I'm always confused by this term binge drinking. I don't, I don't, I never known what it means. Has, has the government made this any clearer at all? Well, they say for an adult male, it's eight units, which is effectively three strong pints of lager, uh, which seems to me a, a small amount uh, for a binge compared to what we see in the media in terms of, uh, you know, people uh, drinking a huge amount of alcohol. Uh, the government are really going after people who just want to enjoy alcohol, um, but are on tight budgets. Dr. Andrew uh, Thompson, is this really good? Are things really going to change? Because I remember, there's all this moral panic, as Peter says in the newspapers, about binge drinking, about young people drinking more. It's always been that way, hasn't it? I remember 25 years ago being in a field with some cheap wine, with some friends, and, and drinking too much and being sick. That's all part of life, isn't it? Well, uh, unfortunately, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right to point out that this has been a, a long-term problem um, with alcohol uh, use in the, in the UK. Um, and actually, this is something that we need to move forward and tackle. And this is not just scaremongering. This is not just sort of raising panic for, for no good reason. Um, you know, the alcohol and, uh, and the ill effects of alcohol is causing significant problems. Um, and a lot of these are in, in the sort of younger generation um, who often will sort of drink large amounts of very cheap, very discounted alcohol at home um, and lead to them sort of, uh, in some cases, sort of losing consciousness, passing out. Um, That's a rite of passage, though, which some people would consider. 
Well, I think I think that's the, that's one of the issues we need to tackle is actually sort of what is a, a healthy relationship with alcohol, and that's why, although minimum pricing will be a significant step forward in trying to redress our relationship with alcohol, um, it's not going to be a, a sort of single ma- magic bullet. It needs to be put in as a ra- as part of a range of measures, um, including education, including sort of developing a, ma- a mature relationship with alcohol. Doctor, we have to end it there. We're running out of time. Thank you, Doctor Andrew Thompson, is a GP member of the BMA. Was the last voice you heard there. The other voice you heard was Pete Spence. Uh, Peter is from the Adam Smith Institute. Uh, 08459 455 555. Will raising the price uh, of uh, the minimum price of alcohol, will that affect your drinking at all? 08459 455 555. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Talking about ambulances, a 99-year-old lady, uh, it took three hours, over three hours, for an ambulance to arrive because she'd fallen over. Um, wondering what your experiences were with ambulances. Whenever I've had to call them, it's only been a few times, uh, they've been there within minutes. And the, the the ambulance crew have always been amazing and fantastic. And I've always been a bit that kind of British apology. Oh, I don't know if I should have called you, so I'm really sorry. And they've been, no, oh, you've done exactly the right thing. Uh, what are your experiences? Alan is in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How are you going? I'm all right, thank you very much. What's your experience with ambulances? Well, I've been to places where, or at friends' houses where we've called ambulances. Yeah. They seem to get there on t- in a, a decent time. But the thing is, unfortunately for the, the crews, when they get there, they have to fill out a little paperwork. Yes. They have bags and bags of equipment to bring in from the ambulance and then take back to the ambulance. They get to hospital and they have to stand around waiting until that they can hand the patient over as opposed to being able to put the patient in their forms on top and leave to the next job. There are a, what, there are a lot of forms, aren't there? There certainly is. What, what are they for? Well, it's, you know, is he white? Is he above this age? Is he above that eye? What, what you want is you want them to go in, give the best treatment they can, get you in the back of the van, still giving you treatment, drop you off at the hospital, a doctor takes you, and then they go off and do their next job. That's that's what you need, isn't it? Basically, I mean, there is certain amounts of <laughs> information that is required, but nowhere near the amount that they have to fill out. Uh, Alan, listen, thank you very much for that. Very quickly, Bespoke Peter on Twitter, we've been asking how long has your bike been left unused in your shed or your garage. Peter says, I confess mine has been in my garage and my parents for around 20 years. They might have even got rid of it by now. Oh dear. A lot of you are very, very lazy. Reading all of your tweets, you've been tweeting at BBC3CR or at Ian Lee about um, how long you've had a bike. Uh, Inders, three years since I last rode my bike, bespoke Peter 20 years. Um, there was one as well I saw 14 years. And then Ash has tweeted, absolute disgrace. Mine is used every single day. Well, we're talking about this because we're being told you shouldn't use your car if your journey could be done in 15 or 20 minutes on foot or bike. That's according to the health body, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence. Nice. Did they come up with that, that, like the word nice, and then try and make it work? How do they do those things? Do they do the words first and then... Anyway, it said the approach was needed to combat the silent epidemic of inactivity posing a risk to your health. Schools and workplaces should also be encouraged to get more pupils and staff cycling and walking. They also say you should be charged more to park your car to encourage you to walk. Most of the pupils at Verulam School in St Albans either bike or walk to school. In fact, being driven to school is the exception. Reporter Serena Farrow cycled there to find out why. I just like cycling just for the joy of it. Most of the time I'm quite slow getting up and awake and it just 
gives me a shorter time to get to school and it gets me here on time. It's stopping pollution from the world as well, not driving about in cars or filling up on petrol, completely eco-friendly. Yeah, I don't really like walking. I find it a bit dull and cycling's really quick. If you go in cars, it's going to pollute more, but cycling is eco-friendly. Yeah, people are generally quite nice on the roads around here. I bike every day because I don't have to rely on anyone to take me anywhere. And if I need to do something after school, then I can just sort of go there. Also, my mum, sometimes she'd get a lift with her colleague, and so sometimes I need to cycle. It basically means she doesn't need to sort of worry about taking me to school when she needs to go to her work. Sometimes I do it for fun, or sometimes for fitness. I like it, it's just fun. Instead of walking, I get tired, but when I cycle, I actually have a challenge. Or just, like, drooping and get soaked if it's raining. So, this, what we're in today, the rain doesn't bother you? No, I do lots of things in the rain, like sport and all that, so I get used to it. Yeah, I enjoy it, and it's just quicker than walking. So you don't need to get your mum involved, but happy days for her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah walking does take a bit of time. It takes about half an hour for me, and then cycling's just half that time. Sometimes I walk if I have time but I'm in the same situation as Josh so it takes about half an hour to walk and 50 minutes to cycle so it's much quicker. Both my parents work full time you know they can't really take me so I either walk or I cycle and you know I decide to cycle because it's quicker and it's more healthy as well. It's just more convenient really. Yeah get home earlier. What do you do when you get home earlier? Oh I do homework or have a bit of time off. It's our reporter, uh, Serena Farrow, there, talking to some young pupils. And it's interesting their attitude, isn't it? It kind of dawned on me, when they're old enough to drive, I wonder if they'll still be so keen to cycle everywhere. When they get to 17, is it 17 you can drive these days? I can't remember. When they get to 17, 18, and will they be quite so keen? Because driving's even quicker than going on a bicycle. Well, Adam Rayner is a motoring journalist from Bushy. Morning, Adam. Good morning, Ian. You don't want to share the road with cyclists, do you? Um, no, I feel about a little bit like oil and water. It's just, uh, I hate sharing the road with them simply because of the uh, fact that they don't seem to really want to pay attention to the rules around my part of the world. What, what, what's some of the things you've seen the cyclists doing? Uh, well, first of all, they don't seem to, uh, all the local ones don't pay attention to the, uh, the red lights. Um, and second of all, they, uh, they just seem to be like sort of blood corpuscles. At the moment, there's anything in the way, they'll flow up onto the pavement. And, uh, but the real horror is, is the fact that if we do end up mixing with them, the, uh, the accidents that occur are always sort of medievally horrible. You saw an accident happen, didn't you? Oh, it was quite some time ago, yes, but... Uh, what happened? Um, well, it was a very, very short little piece of, uh, of, of, of driving. There was just one car that darted two car lengths to stop somebody else coming out of a side turning. And at the same time, a cycle courier wanted to dart out just to come and actually get into the traffic jam to start weaving his way up it. And it was all just ten foot's worth. And the chap was knocked off his bike and his head, even in his little helmet, was hit on the uh, bonnet of the car. Um, and, well, I described what I saw to my mum, who was a nurse, and she said, darling, you saw the chap get brain damaged. Oh, my goodness. And, and it was just, you know, it scores your soul awful. A, a lot of the cyclists don't seem to realise just quite how dangerous it is, because you do see them without helmets on, you do see them jumping through red lights, and, as you say, going up on, on, on the kerb. Do you think that maybe it should be made clearer to them just what a risk they're putting themselves in? Um, well, it's difficult without um, showing people the most horrible images. I mean, gosh, I do recall I, uh, the motoring side at the car shows for the youngsters. One of the uh, um, fire services had a little ex, uh, exhibition-type stand, but what they were indulging in was nothing more than terrifying the heck out of these poor kids, 
showing them photographs that you couldn't publish or broadcast anywhere. Yeah. There are a couple of things I wish I could unsee that I went, oh, what have you got then? And it was, it was images you don't even want to describe um, in order to stop some of the carnage that happens with the young on the roads when they are in cars. But uh, when you're on a bike, you're so horribly, horribly vulnerable. And while it might be terribly, terribly nice for posh kids at a school reasonably far out, from the, uh, the the most busy places to, to cycle, um, I think nice are being a little bit fatuous, perhaps in, uh, uh, in 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 certain respects, just to suggest that it's great for everybody. I'll oh, put them all on bikes, no matter what. Adam, know. stay there. We've got Peter Lipman. He's from the charity Sustrans, who is a national cycling group. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. The roads are too dangerous for cyclists. Uh, I don't think so. I cycle every day, but there, there certainly is an element of danger. I'm not going to deny that. And, and cyclists don't help themselves because we've all seen it, haven't we? Them j- jumping through red lights, going up on the curb. What, why do so many cyclists feel they're uh, above the laws of the road? I don't know. I mean, I think certainly cyclists sometimes feel threatened on the road and take uh, evasive action. Uh, it's quite interesting listening to the conversation, though, because um, while Adam was pointing out that there can be accidents, you know, the reality that Nice was talking about is that inactivity is now causing as many early deaths as smoking. Now, we all take a lot of care and attention to try and stop young kids from smoking because we really don't want them to die. Um, Surely we should be taking the same care and attention to stop them from being inactive and getting them to walk a cycle to school, to see their mates, to the park, wherever, is a fantastic way of doing that. Adam? We've always got to balance these things, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. No, it's, uh, th- th- there are good, solid reasons for uh, for health, for cycling. My main issue is that uh, I really would rather that some of the unbelievable amounts of money that's taken from motorists was actually perhaps lavished upon cyclists such that there was a better provision of, of cycle lanes. And so much of it seems to be tokenism. In, in uh, my little bit of Hertfordshire, there are very big, bold zones near the traffic lights, especially for cyclists at the front of the right. And it, it's almost irrelevant. There's this money being spent on the paint at the traffic lights and almost no attention for cyclists anywhere else. It seems... Well, it- it's great to find myself agreeing with Adam. Um, you know, when, when we talk to women in particular about what would make them feel safe for cycling, they said uh, segregated lanes, separated out traffic lanes. You go to somewhere like Holland where loads and loads of people cycle, and that's what they've done. And, and really, um, I think we could be doing a lot more about that. And as I'm, as I'm afraid, as Adam says, there's some tokenism that goes on sometimes. <laughs> Peter, I, I listen. I used, when I was a kid, and I was 16, 15, 16, before I learned to drive, I cycled everywhere. I don't think I'd feel particularly confident letting my boys do that when they get a bit older, because there are more cars. There are. It is more dangerous than it was twenty-five years ago, isn't it? Well, we we can either create a vicious circle where fewer and fewer people cycle, and it feels more and more dangerous because the fewer bikes there are, the more dangerous it is. I mean, and, and quite literally. That sometimes just don't see cyclists. We see what we're expecting to see, or we can create a virtuous circle where we create the conditions to make it safer, and more and more people cycle. Peter, uh, Peter Adam, stay there for a second. I just want to speak to Matt from Dunstable. Matt, what, what's your take on this? Are you a cyclist? I am a cyclist. I, I cycle into work um, quite often, and I had an accident four years ago where um, I broke my back as a result of somebody actually not seeing me. Ow. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't pleasant. Can I, Matt? Can I ask you, Matt? Can I ask you a question that you might find flippant, but this this comes from a genuine curiosity? Yeah. Did you hear your back snap? Um. No, but I certainly felt it. Yeah. Well. 
So what, and uh, who, whose fault was it? Was it was it because you were going through red lights? What happened? No, I was literally driving down the A5, and I don't know where you go, where the Pack Horse Pub is. Yes. Um, it was there, and basically I was cycling towards Dunstable from the Redbourne end, and this car was coming in the opposite direction. It was at night, it was just gone midnight. Um, he stopped um, at the junction with Liz Hill to turn right into the little link road between um, the A5 and the road to Kensworth, um, and as, as I sort of crossed him, as he pulled out, so he was in front of me and, and literally um, stopped me in my tracks. Well, uh, Matt, listen, thank you for that. Adam, it's your fault as a, as a motorist. You don't, you don't pay enough attention to cyclists. Well, well this is it. There, there was that um, uh, public information film, Think Once, Think Twice, Think Bonk, the cyclists call it. Um, and and I, I really do pay more attention than most, including when you're pulling out into traffic for the faster ones, the motorcyclists too. Um, but the fact is, is it, 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 is, it is difficult. Uh, I mean, it does behoove the motorist to pay attention all the time. Um, because the simple facts are, it doesn't matter how good a cyclist you are. I mean, gosh, if Bradley Wiggins can yeah. end up coming a cropper, then there is no such guarantee of safety for any cyclist anywhere. But uh, So I say, give them more space. Just get them away from me. Adam Rayner, thank you very much. Motoring journalist from Bushy. We had Peter Lippmann as well, who is from Sustrans, the National Cycling Group. Uh, and Matt from Dunstable called in. Adam, you get five points for getting my new favourite word in, behooves. I was watching TV last night, and they, they used the word behooves quite a bit in America. And I was thinking, well, how can I cram that into the show today? I didn't need to. Adam did it for me. 08459 455 555. Would you like to see more cyclists on the road? Or do you just think it's just not safe enough? He's right. If Bradley Wiggins can get knocked off his bike, we're all stuffed. It might happen to my father-in-law, who's a very keen cyclist, an excellent cyclist, and incredibly safe. A driver didn't see, wasn't looking cut him up he went flying and broke his collarbone we're asking for your best worst breakfast this this has to be a joke this has to be a joke daryl on twitter my best worst breakfast is cold beef chow mein from the previous night takeaway with a fray bentos pie on top to warn it through steak and ale no i'm not i'm uh, photo or it didn't happen Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour of the show, I'll meet the son in law of a 99-year-old Luton woman who had to wait three hours three hours for an ambulance after falling in her bathroom and breaking her hip and collarbone. We'll find out why. Keen to get your stories this morning as well on, on uh, good and bad about the ambulance service, because as I say, I've always had fantastic response from them. Good and bad. How long have you had to wait for the emergency services? And also yesterday, did you hear um, Jonathan's interview with Midbeds MP Nadine Doris? If you missed it, oh, 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 oh it, was, it was a cracking about 25 minutes of radio. Uh, I'll be playing you one of the best bits, and I'll be speaking to Deputy Chair of the Midbeds Conservative Association, Budge Wells, to find out what's going to happen to her now. But before that, we're talking about cyclists. We've been told we should cycle and walk more. Do you want to see more cyclists on the road? Andrew's a taxi driver from Hatfield. Andrew, do you, do you want to see more t- more cyclists? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Go on. But I, I want instant fines. On-the-spot fines for cyclists, especially the posers dressed for the Tour de France, who do not use cycle lanes when provided. How would they like it if cars drove on the cycle lane? We'd get fined, wouldn't we? Dangerous driving, etc., etc. Yeah. Why don't they use them? In Hatfield, 
well, the, the main road leading from Welling Garden City to Hatfield is complete cycle lane. Yeah. No, nobody uses it. Recently, they just completed widening the footpath really wide to, so that cyclists can go safely from Hatfield Station to the business park where thousands of people work. Do they use it? No. It was closed for eight weeks. We had to do a detour around town at a cost of thousands and thousands of pounds of our taxpayers' money. Yeah. And do they use it? No. They go on the road. Andrew, Andrew, have you never been tempted to slip on a bit of lycra, shave your legs, get some drop-down handlebars, get rid of that horrible smelly taxi and go for a bike ride? My taxi smells really nice. It's got <laughs> deodorizers in it. What, what, and what flavour deodoriser have you got in your taxi, Andrew? New car. <laughs> but there's a there's a new car smell. Yeah, it smells lovely. What well, fantastic! My favourite smell is carpet. But that's that's by the by. It is new carpet. Oh, you can't go wrong with that. Um, and very quickly on the text, um, uh, what about people on bikes with no lights and on paths? I walk my dog each morning at five forty-five in the morning, and I have to move. I'd be better walking on the road. Across beds, hearts, and bucks. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a 99-year-old woman from Luton was made to wait over three hours for an ambulance after falling in her bathroom and breaking her hip and collarbone. The family of Gladys uh, Jenkins understand that the stress of waiting for paramedics also led to her suffering a heart attack. Although she was living in sheltered accommodation, her carer was unable to lift her due to health and safety rules. Well, earlier on in the show, I spoke to Gary Applin. He's the East of England Ambulance Branch Secretary for Unison. I'm quite unhappy that a job that I joined because I love to do it is now, you know, under such spotlight. And it's also, uh, you know, the, the suffering of patients. You know, we're there to help patients. And when, you know, things like this happen, it, it just it makes you even more concerned, to say the least. Is, is the public safe, Gary, do you think, or are lives at risk? Well, I, I'm, I'm always going to say they're going to be safe. However, you know, if, if the government and, and, you know, commissioners continue to cut, the amount of finances it's it's not going to do very good for not going to be very good for the public you know it's got to be there has to be some sort of of, of problem created unfortunately well david jackson joins me now he's gladys's son-in-law and joins me this year morning david morning but firstly how is gladys how's she doing um she's improving she's yeah. a bit frail yeah um, but she's 99, she's allowed to be a bit frail at 99, I think, bless yeah, her. Yeah, and she's about four foot nothing, so she's a very small <laughs> yeah. woman, very small frame, but um, uh, my wife Susan's caring for her, which she has done for many years, yeah. and our daughter Michelle, and um, she's getting better. Yeah, must have been a shock for her. Mm. Must have been a terribly upsetting experience. Yeah. Well, we were on holiday when it happened, you see, so right. we, got, we got the information over when we phoned home. Um, we didn't realise that she'd had to wait this long for an ambulance. They didn't tell us that until we got back. So what, t- talk <clears throat> us through what happened. It was 11 o'clock at night, is that right? No, it was 11 o'clock in the morning. 11 in the morning, sorry. Um, her, her son, who was looking after her while we were away, um, had just left her. And it, it appears that she um, needed the toilet. Mm. And she tried to walk from the bedroom to the toilet. And um, she obviously got in the toilet, in the bathroom... And um, at some stage she fell and she was wedged between the bath and the basin mm. on a, with her arm twisted underneath her so, and she couldn't move. Mm. But she did manage to press the emergency button. She had one of those little arms around her neck or something. Man of wrist, it? I think it right. was. Yep. And um, the carer came up and found her. Mm. Um, the carer 
um, did a 999 call and um, and that's how, when, when it all started um, the, we, my wife spoke to the carer yesterday and um, she said that she actually told the ambulance people that she was in pain she was conscious and um, she, she says that the person that was taking the call must have heard her screaming out help me help me really what they're saying is that they weren't told that she was injured you see well that, i've got a statement let me just read this very quickly we've got a statement from uh, the east of england ambulance service and uh, you can respond to this it said they got a call at four minutes past 11 in the morning the call was gr- graded a green four which means uh, it requires a response within 60 minutes um, when asked why the, it took over three hours, a spokesman said, During the call, our control room clinician spoke direct, directly with the patient's district nurse, who said the patient had fallen, there were no injuries, the patient was fully conscious and breathing throughout. And you're saying that that's probably not what happened? Well, the district nurse made the second 999 call. Right. The carer did the first one yeah. and apparently told them that she was injured. Mm. Um, the district nurse... Um, we haven't been able to speak to yet because she hasn't been back into work. Right. I was hoping to get a call from her yesterday, but I didn't. Um, so we're, we're not happy with, with that. We're not, we're not, we don't know what was said, to be 100% certain. Yeah. Um, but um, we're going to find out. Can you? Rec- I don't know how this works. Can you request... Because all the calls are recorded, aren't they? They are, Can yeah. you request under the Freedom of Information Act to get those calls? Well... I think I can, yeah. and that's what I'm going to do. Um, I've got forms to fill in that they've sent. They've sent me it's always forms. to make the complaint, yeah. and um, that that will be going in when we we know all the facts. Mm. And um, I will ask for recordings of the nine 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 calls, and then and um, we'll see what was actually said. Have you been given an explanation? What, what, what have the ambulance service said to you? Nothing, really. Hmm. Apart, uh, I've made the complaint, yeah. and they've sent me the forms. I mean, all I know, what you know about this green yeah. four thing, um, I've read in the Luton News. So hang on a minute. So you, you've read it in the paper. You've heard the statement that we've just just read. They've yeah. not said anything to you. No. How does that make you feel? I, I thought maybe somebody would have got back to us, but um, all, all they do is send you the forms. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean. Th- this sort of thing it, it, it can't be allowed this i've heard of a 90 year old man in the east anglian region um who's got the case taken up by his mp waited three hours for an ambulance mm. you see so this is not a one-off it, and it, you can't let old people be lying around like that I'm, I'm surprised um she got through this to be honest with you you really think that she could have could have died as a result well of this? yeah she had a heart attack as well she should be dead shouldn't she 99 years old mm. if when you you know Three hours on the floor. I'll be honest. She sounds like a tough old son. She's a very tough lady. She um, she brought up four kids. Yeah. Her husband died very young. She um, cared for her mother as well, and um, she's had it t- really tough. Mm. Yeah, like I say, she's only four foot nothing. <laughs> weighs about as much as a f- fag packet, you know. There will be some people saying, well, why didn't the carer pick her up if she's so tiny? They're not allowed to, health They're and safety, are they? They that. have to have hoists and all these kind of stuff. Yeah. No one is allowed to lift anybody no. up anymore. Even the district nurse 
um, isn't allowed to do that. And, and also, it sounds like if she'd broken bones, it's best that she probably wasn't moved. Absolutely, in. yeah. yeah. She, the, the, the district nurse did put a pillow under her head and put a blanket over to make uh, as much comfortable as possible. Yeah. But um, they, they couldn't do anything. But, uh, you know, you can't be expecting people, even anybody, to wait three over three hours no. for an ambulance. That's just not on, is it? David, listen, uh, send our love to Gladys. You know, let us know how she gets on. I'm sure, you know, she sounds like a tough old so-and-so. So yeah, well, with the care that my wife and daughter give her, she, she'll she pull through and hopefully she'll get to be 100 in February. Is that, is that her birthday in February? Yeah, oh, I'm February. sure she will. Do you still get a telegram from the Queen? Yeah, you have to apply for it. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> you have to go to a website, fill in more forms, I, I'm guessing. I, I don't know quite how it goes. My wife's sorting that out. She's sorting out. Yeah. Uh, David, listen, do send her our best, and thanks very much for coming in. Okay. That's uh, David Jackson. 08459 555. Give us uh, your stories um, on uh, your, your dealings with the emergency services, good and bad. Listen, I don't want to knock them. As I say, whenever I've called the ambulance, they've, they've always turned up within minutes. But it's been a long time since I've called them. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number uh, if you want to give us a call about that. Uh, we've got some texts on alcohol. The government is, gonna, is talking about putting up the price of uh, the minimum uh, price of alcohol. Ian, that man who believes that putting up the price of units of alcohol will reduce all related incidents that excessive drinking causes is talking from his backside. Oh, oh dear. What drinks cabinet has he raided? We have laws all over the place that don't work. This is just a way of raising more revenue for the government. Why not punish those who break the law through the misuse of alcohol by fining them heavily? It's not rocket science. Pat's a furious boozer. Um, And people will always have money for ciggies and booze, some before food. The government should stop drinking their share of booze that we, the public, pay for. And Angela in Hatton Regis uh, says, the intended price hike on alcohol won't make any difference at all. Those that abuse alcohol will still do so. Those that drink in moderation, especially those on very tight budgets, will suffer. Food food prices up, petrol prices up, and now the government wants to do this as well. It won't be fair to the normal person. Smokers who smoke a lot still smoke, even though the prices are sky high. And on Nick's show uh, today, between 12 and 3, he's hypnotherapist christine black coming on i used to be a hypnotist yeah it's true i used to yeah i used to not a hypnotherapist i used to make people think they were elvis and forget the number seven and stuff like that it was good yeah yeah i know i could probably still do it now i think well maybe we'll try later on i don't think we will now if you get the train to work you will find out today how much the cost of your season ticket is going to go up next year passenger focus says the biggest rise will be on the route between canterbury and london where fares are set to increase by nearly six percent or an extra 270 pounds if you travel from Aylesbury to London, it's only going to go up 3.2%. Yeah. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is... Uh, well, Justin, where exactly are you? Well, I'm at Luton train station yes. at the moment. You see, only 3.2%. Uh, today reminded me of when I commuted into the capital, and I was miserable. Everyone seems miserable this morning. I've been getting reaction from commuters. I actually got on a train earlier on today. I spoke did to... You? I did. I Ooh, got on did a train. You, did you have a ticket? <laughs> I did indeed. Lad, well I did. I spoke to a frustrated Ray, and I asked him how much he's paying to to commute from Luton into the capital every single year about three and a half grand a year good value for money no <laughs> okay <laughs> clearly you're very angry about any sort of increase um, the average we think is going to be about 4.2 percent how much longer can you continue paying these rail fares i mean are you thinking about working locally instead of london i have thought about it and i will consider looking even harder as the increase comes along sort of used there of Ray, very similar to, to commuters I spoke to last year saying the same sort of thing to me. I wish that we could work locally, so that was me on the train from Luton. I then stopped off at Harpenden and I spoke to Peter. 
Well, PC, you're about to catch your train. The train fare's going up today for January the 2nd. What's your reaction to that without swearing down this microphone? Well, my first reaction is that, uh, thank goodness, the train's on time today. Um, it's 4% again. It seems to be going up at the same value every year, if not, I think maybe 4% is quite low this year, I'm mm, not sure. The average 4.2, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not very happy. <laughs> it's, um, we keep ex- being expected to pay more and more and more. Service stays the same. Don't understand why. Clearly, you don't think you're getting good value for money. How much longer can this carry on for? I mean, are, are you thinking like other people I've spoken to this morning about getting a job locally so you don't have to pay these rail fares? We'd love to. If, if, if the work was, we'd love to get a job locally, you know, but we all have to work in London. Not as simple as that, is it? No. Absolutely. And uh, that accent, tell us where you're from and, and why you're here in Harpenden. <laughs> oh, no, I'm originally born in South Africa, but I live and work now in England. Chose Harpenden because it reminds me of the lovely countryside that I have back home. Yeah. England, fantastic country, isn't it? Oh, it is lovely. Yeah, lovely stuff. Well, your train is on time. I'll let you crack on. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So that was PT. He was great, wasn't he? I love the sarcasm there. Well, my first reaction is my train's on time. Uh, he was shocked by that. I spoke to another lady and I said, how would you feel about working locally? She said to me, let me be brutally honest with you. The only way that I can have a career, make a living, pay for my childcare, it is to work in the city. That is the only option. Jobs around here in this area don't pay that well, which is why I have to work in London. So as frustrated as these commuters may be in, mm. they're left with no option. They've simply got to pay the increase from January the 2nd. It does. I mean, you say things, oh, it's, it's only 3%. It's a lot of money. Yeah, those, those tickets, those annual tickets cost a fortune. Well, somebody said to me, fine, you know, if it's 4.2%, if my boss says to me next week, next year, your increase is 4.2%, that pays for it. But sadly, mm. bosses right now, they're not giving out increases. We're expected all the time to keep paying more and more and more. And unfortunately for these commuters, they've just got to pay it. Justin Dealey, thank you very much. Excellent stuff as always. On FM, AM and on Online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, after becoming the first contestant to be booted out of this year's I'm a Celebrity, Mid-Beds MP Nadine Doris will find out next week if she'll also be kicked out of the Conservative Party. She was suspended earlier this month over her controversial trip to the Australian jungle. Well, back in Westminster, the government's chief whip told her she needed to rebuild bridges with her constituents and her fellow MPs. Here's what she said to Jonathan on the JVS show yesterday. We had a very good-natured, um, a very happy meeting, and but we... We've um, adjourned the meeting and we're reconvening this time next week, if not before. The whip hasn't been withdrawn. I think it's a very clear um, distinction which needs to be made. When a whip has been withdrawn, that means an MP is no longer an MP of that political party. When it's been suspended, that is quite different. Suspension means that there are discussions to be taken place around the whip not being suspended. We've had the first part of that discussion this morning. We will meet within the next few days, this time next week, the latest, and continue the discussions. If a teacher was just to go away when it wasn't the summer holidays, would that be acceptable? Well, it's a completely different kind of job. Um, if a teacher was going away when it wasn't the summer holidays to do teaching in a vocational way somewhere else or to do something else which enhances their job, then I think that would be okay, as teachers do very often go on conferences and attend courses and do things which are relevant to their job. And how on earth has eating at an ostrich's anus 
uh, benefited your constituents? The otogenous, which is something that both you and the interview on Look East last night like to keep mentioning, because I suppose you think that makes quite a negative and cheap point, doesn't really have anything to do with it. But no. what does have something to do with it is the fact that I have, I've gone to... Um, a place where 12 million people go and engage with them at their level. Mm. You know, I've come back to um, a considerable number of emails, the majority of which are very positive. Well, Budge Wells is the Deputy Chair of the Midbeds Conservative Association. Morning again, Budge. Good morning, Hugh. Has the Chief Whip been in contact uh, following yesterday's meeting with Nadine? Uh, yes, not the chief whip himself, but a member of his staff has been in contact with me, yes. What's, what's going on there, Budge? Because it, it's, it's all a bit of a mess. We thought it was going to be sorted out yesterday. The meeting was adjourned for, for a week. What, what's happening? Well, the... Uh, Is she in or out? Uh, at the moment, she's still suspended, and, and I think the explanation she gave, which you put on just now, is the correct one. So what is happening at the moment, as I'm told by the, the member of staff in the Chief Whip's office, is that uh, within the fortnight there will be, they will look at what progress has been made uh, with regard to Nadine building bridges uh, with her party and the uh, constituents in her constituency. And they will be looking at any improvement in that relationship as a guide to what uh, Sir George Young does after that. So I guess they're going to ask for your input in this, aren't they, Bush, to see, to see the local well, aspect? Well, uh, I don't see how they can do anything else but if they're going to ask, um, has uh, the situation improved in the constituency? And um, that's something we'll have to face up to over the next couple of weeks. Because the situation is, d- despite what she was saying, that she's had lots of positive emails, the situation is pretty bad, isn't it, in, in terms of, of the, the constituents' opinion of her? Well, certainly there is evidence that quite a number of people have emailed, telephoned and written in uh, saying that they didn't approve of uh, Nadine being in Australia. That is a fact. We have the, uh, the emails and so forth in the office. However, there's also, one should bear in mind, that... Uh, Nadine has done a lot of good work in the constituency prior to uh, this rumpus that's called up. She's been a good constituency MP. She's done a lot of work in the constituency that's good, of good value. And she's also represented uh, opinions about matters that affect people outside the constituency. So we've got to look at the plus side as well. Mm. You're not, are, you, are you softening slightly, Budge? Because I remember when we first spoke about this, you were furious. Yes, I mean, I was upset because... Uh, we hadn't been told that she was going to Australia, and a few days after she'd arrived there, I uh, went to our constituency office in Shefford to be faced with three tripods with three television cameras sitting on top of them, and I turned around and looked at them, and rather, I suppose, in, you know, in a strange way, said, um, what on earth are you doing here? And they looked at me as if, you know, mm. good God, don't you know? And, you know, that, that, was, you know, that was something I felt we didn't need to face up to. What does she need to do to, to build bridges? I think she needs to reassure, from the constituency point of view, she needs to reassure the constituents that uh, she's wholly committed to being the MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, that she uh, has the interests of the constituents at heart and will represent them in Parliament. And that's really what any MP should be doing anyway. You're in a bit of a no-win situation, aren't you, Roger? Because if, if, if she stays... It, it brings British politics down to a very base level. It, it kind of makes a mockery of the political process. If she goes, Whitehall have, to a degree, delegated the decision potentially onto you, haven't they? Well, it's not me personally. I mean, what, what will happen is that we will have a, a meeting of our constituency executive uh, very soon, next week, 
and we've invited Nadine to attend that meeting so we can have a, a full and frank discussion about all the events that have surrounded the last uh, three weeks. And as a result of that, I hope we'll come out with some positive views about how we move forward and, and get away to get away from this distraction and move on to the more important things that uh, the constituency and parliament in Westminster have to face up to. She told JVS yesterday she had 700 emails, many of which were positive. You've had complaints. How do you think Midbed, Midbed feels about her now? Um, well, I, I don't want to give a, an impression of what the whole of Midbeds or any one part of it thinks. Um, what I want to do is to say that I did say to Nadine when I spoke to her a couple of days ago that I didn't think what she had done was the, the best thing in the world. I didn't think it enhanced her as an MP or as a person. But that was my personal view. The view that matters is not my personal view, but the view of the executive and the constituency. Budge, always lovely to talk to you, and no doubt we will speak to you again in the near future. Thank you very much indeed. Right. It's Budge Wells there. He sounds like he's softening slightly, doesn't he? Uh, so I'm just reading a very rude tweet that's been said. I can't read that out on the radio, for goodness sakes. Right, more coming up. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Nice one, Catherine. Thanks. Where it's due. That was, that was good. I thought she did that brilliantly. Uh, good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past eight. It's a horrible, wet, miserable Wednesday. Good morning. <laughs> oh dear. Now, controversial plans announced today to tuckle, uh, tackle <laughs> to tackle drunken behaviour in Britain's streets. Will more expensive booze put you off drinking? And don't use your car if a journey is only uh, going to take 15 or 20 minutes. Walk or get on your bike instead. That's what we're being told. Would you welcome more cyclists on the roads of beds, hearts and bucks? And do you have a nightmare getting to sleep? I do at the moment. Oh, I'm sleeping terribly at the moment. We'll find out why it's become such a problem for, uh, for one man from Flitwick. He's been diagnosed with a broken body clock. I've got that. I think I've got that. Yeah, I think so. Hope it's not too serious, because I don't want to make light of what could be a serious issue. It's, uh... 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. BBC Three Counties Radio. A broken body clock. Suddenly it makes sense. Well, it looks like you're going to have to pay more for alcohol in the future. The government is expected to announce a minimum retail price for booze. It's hoped the increase will significantly reduce alcohol consumption and the problems associated with binge drinking. Health experts have favoured a price of 50 pence per unit, but David Cameron has indicated the government might prefer 40 pence. That means you'd pay a minimum of £4.40 for a bottle of wine and £1.12 for a can of beer or cider. Tom Smith is from Alcohol Concern and joins me now. Morning, Tom. Good morning, Ian. Well, what's likely to be announced today, then? Well, today, today the government's likely to announce um, a consultation on a range of issues, one of which is the introduction of a, a minimum unit price for alcohol. So that would be a kind of a price at which alcohol per unit couldn't be sold less than. It's not really going to stop dr- problem drinking, though, is it? No, you're quite right. It won't stop problem drinking. Um, if someone is a dependent drinker or has a problem with alcohol, they probably will find alcohol one way or the other and they they really need to seek support or treatment this this measure is targeted at um reducing the attractiveness of cheap strong alcohol like uh white cider that has very little to do with apples or super strength lagers drinks predominantly and traditionally drunk by young people and, and heavy drinkers 
I, I'm trying to work out how, how much of a difference it would make. I, I, listen, I haven't drunk for a long time, I, but I'm looking back to when I was a teenager. I, if I'd have wanted to get alcohol, I, I would have done whatever the cost. It's, it's not a significant enough increase, it would appear to me, that it's actually going to s- solve any problems. It seems a bit wishy-washy, perhaps. Well, we've been campaigning for 50p minimum unit price, mm. and there's a whole range of international evidence that shows that alcohol consumption is linked to affordability and the bottom line is that alcohol is 45% cheaper today than it was in 1980 Um, and the research undertaken in the UK by the University of Sheffield shows that a minimum unit price of 45p, 40p for that matter or 50p as we've been advocating will save thousands of lives it will prevent tens of thousands of crimes and actually save us the taxpayer billions of pounds What's the evidence that it it will save lives? Because the great number of people, just under 9,000 last year, died from alcohol, died from alcohol, um, and... And where's the evidence that, that, that by, by, by putting up the cost that will actually save lives? Quite right, yeah. I mean, uh, many heavy drinkers are drinking um, these strong, cheap drinks, like white ciders and super-strength lagers, yeah. um, and reducing their consumption, even by a little bit, reduces the harms and therefore reduces... Um, their rate of attendance and admission at hospital and mortality. What's the government definition of binge drinking? Is it really three pints? It's twice the recommended um, guidelines for um, yeah, and it varies for women and men, so it's twice, um, the recommended limit for women is two to three units for men it's three to four, so it's twice that amount. What's that in in real terms? Three pints? Well, it's about uh, depends how strong your lager is, but between three or four pints. Because I've got a friend on Twitter who's just tweeted, that's just drinking. Three pints <laughs> isn't been drinking, is it? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, a term that's used to define kind of okay. drinking excessively. Okay, uh, Tom, listen, we have, to, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Tom Smith from Alcohol Concern. Joined now by the Chief Executive of the British Liver Truff, uh, Trust, that's Andrew Langford. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Ian. Is, is, a, is 40 pence enough? No, it's nowhere near enough. And, and, and 50 pence will make some, some impact um, and will save some lives. But as Tom has just said, that really is for, 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 uh, for people that are really drinking the, the, um, the nasty, very nasty alcohols such as uh, ciders and luck. I wonder, will it, will a 40 pence or a 50 pence save any lives? Because if, if someone does have an alcohol problem, and I do, I do have friends, or I do know people that have got alcohol problems, they will find any ways and means to get their booze. It doesn't matter what they do, you know. It's not going to stop those people drinking, is it? It, it may stop some of them drinking as much as they do, but most importantly, um, it, it, it will start to affect how we all drink. And, and particularly with liver disease, liver disease is now affecting all of us. And, and the chief medical officer's report last week showed that, you know, we have a real increasing amount of liver deaths in this country. And quite a lot of those are caused by alcohol. If um, the health industry think it should be 50 pence, why is David Cameron ignoring that advice or seemingly ignoring that advice and going with just 40 pence? Well, my fear is is that um, if if Mr Cameron goes for anything less than 50 pence, that may be as as a result of of a lot of lobbying by the alcohol industry itself. 
and um, uh, I think people don't realise just how Im- how influential that uh, political lobby is. Mm. Um, and I think uh, Mr Cameron would be well advised to listen to the health lobby that is advocating for at least 50p. And also, it would be crazy to have a different minimum unit price in England and Wales to the minimum unit price they're suggesting in Scotland. Well, this is what I was going to say. In Scotland, they are, it looks like the, the 50 pence is the minimum. Uh, and if it's in England, it's 40 pence. That doesn't seem to make any sense at all, does it? No, not at all. And, and, and you can just imagine that there, there, there will be people crossing the border to buy their alcohol cheaper. Um, There'll be a load of boozed-up jocks up in Newcastle. It would be, be awful. Well, that, that's, that's for you to say, yes. not me. No, don't um, worry, just, I said it, yes. Ian, just going back to what your friend has tweeted, Yes. Um, the important thing is that um, that may be their drinking pattern, but, but one of the things that they... This was, must... uh, for those of you, this was uh, my friend Scott, who's just t- tweeted, we, we, we cl- clarified that three pints could be considered binge drinking, and he's written, that's not binge drinking, that's just drinking. If, 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 if your friend Scott is doing that on a daily basis, yes. that will be doing some damage to his liver. Right. What, it, what he needs to do is take at least two or three days off yeah. every week, um, and that will then give his, give his liver a chance to, to, to regenerate. Um, hopefully, he can keep his, his drinking to, to three or four pints and, and, if possible, reduce that. Why do we get it so wrong in this, this, this country, Andrew? Because if you go to, to France and Spain and other continental countries, they don't seem to have the booze problem that, that we do here. No, um, although it is there, um, and, and it is a problem in these countries, so please don't think that we're, we're all that unusual. But I think one of the things is, is that alcohol is now a very social norm. Um, you know, I think back to, to when I was younger, it would have been very unusual for my mum to have come home from the shop with, with shopping to have had alcohol in that shopping. Yeah. Nowadays, when people go to the supermarket, it, you know, very rarely do people come away without uh, alcohol. So I think, I think we've just changed as a culture to drink more, and, and that is causing a lot of ill health. Mm. Andrew, listen, thank you very much for that. Andrew Langford, Chief Executive of the British Liver Trust. Well, JVS will be continuing uh, with this after nine o'clock. He's asking, should alcohol be more expensive? Mick's in High Wycombe. Morning, Mick. Good morning. Do you think this increase uh, in the basic cost of alcohol will have any effect at all? I need to raise money, uh, money for the Treasury. Do you, do you think it's going to stop? I, I, I am scratching my head as to whether it's going to stop people drinking or, or cause people to reduce their drinking only maybe in the case of sensible drinkers and for fina- and for financial reasons only come your alcoholic yeah to which i've got 21 and three quarter years recovery from congratulations right i've got to say this is the biggest load of crap out all right well, steady, got, well, yeah, but let's, well, just steady on with your language i know it's a category c but we have to be careful got young ears yeah, listening yeah. Yeah, it's the biggest load of rubbish i've Thank ever you. heard yes. right okay I mean, people go on about bang on about alcohol without any qualifications or experience of what alcoholism is about. Is I'm an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic before me. God bless her soul. She never lived long enough to see me sober up. Okay. Now this binge drinking thing. What well, was like your mate Scott says? That's three pints ain't binge drinking. That's not even a drink to an alcoholic. Yeah. That's nothing. It's nothing. Get real, you guys out there. Putting forty, fifty pound on a on drink is not going to stop the alcoholics. Like he quite rightly said to one of them, 
if, an alcohol, if they want to get their drink, they are going to get their drink. And my God, I got my drink when, as and when I wanted it. And, uh, and the price did not bother me. How did you stop drinking, Mick? I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And, and that worked, still, did it? Uh, yeah. Now, I, I went while st- still a drinker, right? And I, it was with help from those people that when I actually stopped drinking, and I stayed stuck. Mm. You know? It gave, it gave me a network of people that I could turn around and say, look, I'm having a difficult time not drinking today. And somebody would speak to me either over the phone or even call around and visit me in my own home or get me to an AA meeting. But all this stuff about, oh, we'll, we'll cure the alcoholics. Well, you're just speaking rubbish. Yeah. Mick, listen, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. I'm glad you uh, you found some peace and serenity. You've got 21 years clean and sober. Congratulations for that. It's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> Jonathan Fanatti. Oh, I like it when you sing me in. I do like to sing you in and sing you out as well. Uh, <laughs> can I just say, can I just say, uh, high five, brother, high five. What was the high five for? Because <laughs> you were on form yesterday. Did you like that? You were really on form yesterday. She's, uh, Nadine Doris is a... Uh, oh, no, sorry, not talking about oh. Nadine Doris. I just thought you were very funny in the office. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Been really bitching about everyone. You are terrible. No, I, I, Nadine Doris, I was in my sick bed. I went home, I was very ill yesterday. I was lying in bed, in my pants, listening to you on the, on the portable telephone. I thought it was brilliant. She's a very interesting person to interview, Nadine Doris. And uh, some people say, oh, no, you're too tough and too, no. too robust. You've got to be with Nadine Doris because she doesn't... She doesn't, uh, she doesn't take people lightly. What I thought was interesting was that, that you were tough on her. She was tough on you. You both gave as good as you got. Yeah. There was no one kind of bullying anyone. But you it, both gave as good as I you got. If I hadn't been tough, she would have walked all over me. Yeah. Did, did you, have you seen her on other interviews? Mm, yeah, I have. Mm. There was a real... Um, there's a real chemistry between you two yesterday. You said this yesterday. It was a bit weird. It was, it, well, there was a chemistry between you. It was like you were both kind of... It, it was kind of like sadomasochism. You were both enjoying, inflicting, and receiving. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sadomasochism. Yes. Nadine Doris. <laughs> That's her new series starting on Channel 5. No, it's not. It's not. Don't, we'll get in trouble now. <laughs> Mummy, what does that... Don't, don't listen. Quick, let's put, let's put another station on. Uh, but I thought it was a really good interview. If people want to listen to it, of course, they Thanks. can go to the iPlayer, and it was uh, 11 o'clock yesterday, wasn't it? So it they, was. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Thanks very much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> oh, by the way, if we're in the uh, in the mood for kind of reciprocal, yeah, uh, I loved your interview going up to seven o'clock this morning with the councillor oh. about that disabled parking space. <laughs> that was good. She wouldn't talk like a human being. No, talk to me like a human being. Well, we're investigating the. We are I, no. Tell, talk to me like a woman and um, talk to a man. I liked it. If anybody missed it, go back on the iPlayer oh, this morning. Thanks very much. And listen, going up to seven o'clock. In fact, yeah, don't listen to him speaking to Dean Doris. <laughs> listen to me just before. Just listen to that. You're right. Actually, yes. No, mine was better. It was my quiz. It's funny. <laughs> when she went and we went to the news I went on the faders yeah you, Jonathan may have had Nadine Doris but I taught that woman a lesson <laughs> so you know each to their own what's on your show this morning Jonathan going up well we're continuing this uh, this alcohol discussion it's a yes. subject very close to my heart I know it is you do like a booze uh, I'm asking should alcohol be more expensive have you, as you've been discussing the government is starting a consultation on setting a minimum price for each unit of alcohol reports suggest it could be set at 45 pence which would increase the cost of a 2.99 bottle of wine to 4 pounds and 5 pence there could also be bans on some supermarket deals as part of a, an effort to curb binge drinking i have to be honest i'm a bit concerned about this mm. i have uh, don't get me wrong i mean i like a nice bottle of wine yep. but my everyday wine is 3.99 from a well-known supermarket right. so theoretically my 3.99 wine yep. will probably go up won't it yeah have you worked out how much no well, but it's going to go up it will go up yes 
Yes. Well, why should I have to pay more? I'm not going around smashing up bus shelters and vomiting in, in bank doorways. Why should I have to pay more for a couple of glasses of Merlot of an evening? I think it's outrageous. But perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps I should be looking at the bigger picture that this country has and the bigger alcohol problem. Yeah. Perhaps alcohol needs to be more expensive. Frankly, at the moment, it's just too blooming cheap. Yeah. From nine this morning. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should alcohol be more expensive? Can I give you a tip? What's that? Before you come out for work, get your mum just to go over your jumper with a bit of sellotape. There's just bits of fluff all over it. <laughs> Seriously, get some mum. Can you get a bit of sellotape? Just, know, just be covered. fluffy. It's covered. I'm like a crazy old cat lady. I'll be having newspaper on my window soon. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. See you later on. I'm taking this chair. Good. Okay. You are going to take the chair, aren't you? Yeah. Can you do it quietly? I tell you what, I'll come in during the middle of your show. Yeah, just... Oh, okay. Right. I'm going to send Nick Coffer down with stink bombs for the 11.20. Jonathan Bernard Smith on at nine o'clock, where, where the radio really does does uh, become quite amateur. Now, you shouldn't use your car if your journey could be done in 15 or 20 minutes on foot or by bike. That's according to the health body, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence. Research done by NICE shows that only 61% of men and 71% of women do some form of daily exercise. Well, reporter Serena Farrow stopped by Harpenden to speak to commuters who use their bikes to get to and from the train station. With the amount of traffic, got to avoid the main arteries coming in. But cycling's very healthy as you get older, and more cycling keeps the blood moving. People lose sight of what you used to do when you were younger, and cycling is a very enjoyable occupation and, and exercise. I do a lot of cycling because I enjoy it. Because you see the world in a different spotlight. I get my bike, which I park there. It's, it's just easier. It's ten minutes walking and a couple of minutes cycling. You just get bored walking. And then you get wetter in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> For you, is safety a concern? I mean, nutter drivers? Not too bad. I've got my helmet and then I've got lights on my bike. So you don't mind that there aren't any cycle paths around here? Not particularly, because, but I know the roads well as well, and it's not far. It keeps you fit, and then cut down costs as well. I wouldn't get a taxi home, it's too expensive. I've just been here to the dentist. I cycle to work every day through the central of London, and I have no concerns whatsoever. But a Brompton bicycle, so it's not quite conventional, is it? I've saved £600 a year by taking this instead of buying an annual rail cart, and I put it under my desk at work, so I have no need to worry about it being stolen as well. I take it into shops take it to the theatre, I put it in the box offices at the South Bank. It's changed my life. Why did you get it in the first place? My company are foresighted enough to offer their staff a cycle-to-work scheme, which means you don't pay tax or national insurance on bicycles because they're considered to be a healthy option encouraging a fitter lifestyle. Obviously, you have to be aware of uh, traffic problems, but, you know, there's a bunch of nutters around. You have to adjust your styles to where you are. Always assume that everyone's going to do stupid things. Be assertive, but not aggressive. I've survived so far. Well, Mike Kelly is from the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Why do you want people to walk and cycle more? Because we are experiencing what uh, some have called an epidemic of inactivity. Uh, The population as a whole in this country, but across the Western world, simply isn't active enough. About two-thirds of uh, the population don't get anything close to the sorts of levels of activity that will help to keep them healthy. Now, when I say help to keep them healthy, there are two dimensions to this. One is uh, taking a bit of physical activity Mm. actually makes you feel good. uh, There's a real feel-good factor in being active. Mm. But the other very important thing is there are a number of uh, very serious diseases, heart disease, stroke, certain cancers, uh, diabetes and obesity, all of which can 
be prevented or we can contribute to their prevention by being more physically active. When you look at populations where physical activity levels are higher, the rates of these diseases are lower and vice versa. And in this country, presently, um, the, the diseases associated with physical inactivity, the way we live our lives, are still increasing. And we need to do something to arrest that increase. If we get more cyclists, though, Mike, isn't that going to make the, the roads more dangerous? Well, the the argument and the evidence suggests that where you have larger numbers of cyclists, there is a safety safety in numbers dimension. That is to say that um, other road users change their behaviour to be more safe uh, in the presence of the larger number of cyclists. Now, this sort of evidence comes from countries like Denmark and the Netherlands, where rates of cycling are much, much higher um, than here. So... Yes, there's sometimes, uh, you know, we, we do read a lot in the media about risks to cyclists. And your last uh, interview, the person was talking about the cyclist there was talking about some of the, mm. the things that he has to do. But in general terms, uh, for each mile we cycle, the, the dangers are far, far lower um, than the benefits that accrue to us individually and as a population. Do you cycle, Mike? I don't, actually. Oh, um, Mike! <laughs> but I do a lot of walking. Um, I should tell you that. I walk to work every morning um, when I get off the train across London, and I derive great benefits from it. I like, See, I like walking, and I do walk a lot of places, but a cycling, you, you get sweaty. You can't cycle in a suit, can you? Uh, well, actually, that's quite an interesting point, because when you compare the... Um, the Netherlands and, and Denmark, what you see there is people do cycle in their ordinary clothes because they cycle at a rather more sedate yes. pace than we see here. But of course, in order to help people who want to... Um, they don't mind being that, sweaty, the Dutch, do they? <laughs> um, I couldn't possibly comment. But what, of course, you can do in, in, in workplaces, and again, we heard from one of your previous uh, interviewees, mm. talked about the showers uh, that are available at work and that sort of thing that just make it easier. And they're the little things mm. that can really, really help. Uh, Mike, you also said that parking charges should be increased to encourage Actually, more people to walk. Did you not? Um, oh, no, good, good. I don't know where that story's come from, but that's not part of the guidance. Excellent. We're, we're looking at the positives, not to try and make life difficult for people. Good for you. Uh, li- listen, Mike, thank you very much. One quick question before you go, just going off on a slight tangent. You know NICE, the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence, mm-hmm. did, did they come up with the word NICE and work backwards? <laughs> the original name was the National Institute for Clinical Excellence um, when it was established in 1999, when its, its remit was entirely um, yeah. clinical matters. When it extended in 2005 to take on public health, the word health was ins- inserted, but we kept the acronym NICE. And did, did, did you, did, I'm always curious as to how these acronyms start. So did you have NICE and go, right, let's, let's try and find some words that fit this? Or was it just a happy coincidence that the National Institute... I think Institute... it was a happy coincidence. There we go. Thanks. So, sorry about that. It's, it's always fascinating, <laughs> Mike. Thank you very much indeed. Mike Kelly from NICE. It was a happy coincidence. We've answered that question for you. Uh, Daryl is in Hazelmere. Morning, Daryl. Morning. Uh, are you a cyclist? No, I'm a, well, I've done a bit of cycling, but I'm a car driver at the moment because of the job I do. Yeah, go on. What do, you, what do you think? Would you like to see more cyclists on the roads? Um, only if they obey the rules. You know, as, as, as motorists, you always hear the radio adverts and the TV adverts saying, think once, think twice, think bike, and that applies to motorbikes and cyclists alike. But they don't seem to obey the rules themselves. You know, the amount of times they go through red lights at traffic lights thinking, you know, that's okay, they're only a bike. And um, it's, it's not, really. You know, we have to obey the rules. We pay car tax. So I don't see why they shouldn't have to obey the rules a bit more. But uh, is that not just car jealousy, Daryl? Because, listen, we've all watched longingly as a cyclist jumps through red lights thinking, oh, I wish I could do that in my car. Uh, not really, no, because when I was, I, I drive a lot around in London because of my job, and you see old people going across the zebra crossings, and they have to dodge cyclists. 
you know, yep. it's bad enough when you're walking down the road and you have to dodge mobility scooters, but when you're trying to cross a road and you have to dodge cyclists as well, it's not much fun, is it? Uh, Daryl, listen, thank you very much indeed. Uh, th- yes, I've, I've, I've had cyclists shout at me because I've dared, I've dared to cross the road when the traffic lights are red and they've, just, they've decided they want to sail straight through. Proper abuse. Hand gestures as well. Offensive hand gestures. Yeah, that one. No, not that one. That one. Yeah, I know. Deary, deary me. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Lots coming up in the last half hour of the show. As always, you can have your say, including... Rail fares are going to go up. Yeah, I know. We'll talk about that in a second. And if you're anything like me, you might have problems getting to sleep. Well, it's got so bad for a man from Flitwick, he's been diagnosed with a broken body clock. He's featured in a BBC programme tonight. I've got a, pr- a preview of that before nine o'clock, so do uh, keep listening. Now, if you get the train to work, you will find out today how much the cost of your season ticket will go up next year. Passenger Focus says the biggest rise will be on the route between Canterbury and London, where fares are set to increase by nearly 6%, or an extra 270 quid. If you travel from Aylesbury to London, it's only going to go up by 3.2%. Well, there's that all. Sim Harris is the managing editor of Rail News. Morning, Sim. Good morning. Why is it going up again? Well, first of all, I, I would suggest very humbly that they should be throwing their hats in the air in Aylesbury today. People who go to work by Chiltern Railways, 3.2% is 1% less than the average rise. Uh, in fact, uh, it, it's bang on inflation as it was last July. So what they're paying in Aylesbury is, is a flat increase, just equivalent to inflation. Why does it go up at all? Well, partly because of inflation, but also because the government, and indeed the previous government as well, has a policy that over time, that the amount of money paid towards the railways by passengers should go up compared to the amount of money paid by taxpayers. The ratio used to be roughly 50-50. The aim is to make it 75-25. So that's why every year the government sneaks on an above inflation increase. But as I say, there, are, there is some good news in all this. Mm. It was going to be 3% above inflation. But as in the last couple of years, the government climbed down on that and made it 1% above is it, is it ever going to go down, Sim? Imagine one year where we reported and said, well, some great news for travellers, that uh, the cost of your um, uh, commuter pass is going to go down by 4%. Let Could that ever be, happen? I'm going to be really unkind to you now. Yes. Ready? Yes. Will the cost of my TV licence ever go down? No. See the point? N- Nothing no. in life goes down. <laughs> yes, I do. I do see the point. I'm being flippant. Yes. But the TV licence... Ah, but the TV licence has been frozen, though. TV licence has been frozen, and that's absolutely true. Touché. And in years gone... Ah, not quite touche. I'll give you 50% touche. Thank you. Yes, a two. Uh, Because in, in recent times... Keep the show. And I, yes. I actually run a website called Railhub, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about, except... I have an archive of press releases going back over 10 or 12 years. Yes. And in the early 2000s, earlier in this century, yeah. um, there was a period when they did actually come down. There was a period where they went up by inflation minus 1%. Right. As I say, it's government policy now that they go up above. The point about these above inflation fare rises, by the way, yes. is that that extra money does go to the Treasury. 
it doesn't go to Chiltern or London Midland or First Capital Connect. Right. They have to collect the money, but the the financial relationship they have with government, in other words, they normally pay what are known as premiums to run the service, they go up accordingly. So government expects them to put these rises on. <clears throat> it's not it's not more money in the bank, as I say, for Chiltern or First You Capital can understand why, why, why travellers are, are upset, though, can't you, Simmons? <clears throat> Do you think it will ever get to the point where um, uh, people will go, I just can't, af- I can't afford this anymore, and they'll stop travelling like this? Stop commuting are, to are work? You, no, no, I don't think that's going to happen unless we have rises that are, you know, sky high, because exactly the same thing is happening to motorists who do not care at all mm. for increases in petrol prices and diesel prices, and of course, none of us like increases in the costs of, of living. Unfortunately, it, it, it isn't a railway phenomenon, is it? It's no. the world in which we live. People are complaining at the moment that food is going up in price as well. Anything you like, really, with the possible exception of the TV licence, which, as you said, for the moment is frozen. But I don't imagine that's going to last forever. Otherwise, the wind will blow and three counties would one day disappear. And that would be a great shame. So let us hope the TV licence isn't frozen for too long. You said that like a veiled threat. (laughs) No, no. No, no, I enjoy enjoy joining you on three counties. And we enjoy having you. I would not like it at all if you disappeared. All I'm saying is, it is part of the world in which we live. It could have been worse. It nearly was worse. And uh, don't forget, there are some very good deals indeed Thank if you, you use the train off peak. Same final question going off a complete tangent. What's the best train in the world? Quick, first one that comes to mind. My favourite, I think, at the moment, from my limited experience, is probably Eurostar. There and I go. think the new Eurostar is going to be even lovelier. Fantastic. There we go. You see? He's wrong, of course. It's the Shinkansen. The bullet train in Japan is the best train in the world. But we'll, we'll let Sim have that. Well, our uh, train correspondent, Justin Delia, spent the morning at Luton Station. Morning, Justin. Ian, good morning, Sim. What an absolute class he, act I, he is. He's brilliant. I love Sim. I, I got very excited because a few weeks ago I heard Sim on Radio 4. And yeah. I was like, oh, oh, we have him. <laughs> he's on proper radio. We so, know Sim. We, we know, know Sim. Sim. He's good. He's, he's always a, good value. He's a great guy. I'm here at Luton train station this morning. Ian, I've got some figures for you. How much do you think it is for a one-day travel card here from Luton into London? Oh, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know. Uh, 12 quid. £32.50. Wh- what? Yes, £32.50. <laughs> £430 a month, or, the big one, yeah. £4,484 a year. Wowzers. Now, if we're talking about an average increase of 4.2%, that's an extra £180. £88 Think a of year. all the units of alcohol you could buy with that. <laughs> wow. Almost £200 a year. So clearly, commuters are not happy. I've been asking them what the service is actually like. Trains tend to be delayed, especially well, with all the um, train works going on in the stations and things like that. Um, and, I mean, I don't get travel expenses from work or anything, so it's just extra money out of my pocket. And it must be so frustrating, because there is absolutely nothing you can do. You need this train to get to work, so you've simply got to pay the money. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I can take the buses, but it takes too long. Um, trains, yeah, they're either delayed or they're just too packed. You don't get a chance to sit down or anything. And just overcrowded, really. If the service was good, would you maybe think, well, 4.2%, yes, it's quite a lot, but the service is excellent, but I you're not getting that. No, I wouldn't mind. Um, if the service was excellent, if it was good, then, yeah, I don't mind an extra quid, I suppose. So let's get this right. The service is getting worse, the prices are going up. Going up, exactly. That's exactly makes sense, is that at all? And a quick word with this man here. Um, what's the service like every day? Uh, it's pretty sporadic. Sometimes trains are packed, sometimes you get a seat, sometimes you don't don't always turn up on time and sometimes they're cancelled for what seems like trivial reasons and can you afford this increase we're talking about not really we've been squeezed from every direction and 
it's getting to the point now where I'm considering driving into work. Really? But then you've got the congestion charge. Yeah. You know, and I, ho- I thought the whole point of that was to encourage people to use public transport. Excellent point there from that last man saying, well, I might actually get into my car now. The whole point of the congestion charge was to get people onto the trains, of course. But uh, now, with these rail fares going up and up and up, he's now considering using his car. Incredible stuff. Uh, it does sound amazing. Do you use the trains very often, Justin? Um, well, not if I can help it, I have to say. I, I commuted into London for two years, and this morning, getting back on the train, talking to these people, it was like going back in time. You can hear them. They are miserable. Yeah. Uh, they are getting a poor service, and they're paying more and more for it. I asked a few people earlier on, would you consider maybe working locally? They said, well, yeah, if the jobs were available. Yeah. But unfortunately, the only way that I can have a decent living is to work in London. That means I've got to pay these rail fares. I've just got no choice whatsoever. But Justin, if, you, if you'll indulge me for a second, if I go off on a tangent, because I have a lot of respect for you. I Thank think you're you. a talented... Bro- no, yeah. uh, listen, I think you're a talented <laughs> broadcaster. I think you're a, a very handsome man. Thank you, I love you too. Uh, but I, I also think you're full of it. I'll tell you why. <laughs> no, I will tell you why. Because for about the past month, you've been banging on about how you're going to get together the, the Luton Town AstroTurf, and you're going to get as much of the AstroTurf, and you think you've found the penalty spot. Mm-hmm. Oh no, you haven't found... Oh, we found 75% of it oh, la, la. and we've had a date and then that date got put back and then we had another date when is this going to happen <laughs> it's Hatters what a great team <laughs> we'll show the others that we are the cream Hatters Hatters there you go that's a barren night um, it's happening it's happening a week today he's regardless. having a breakdown yes it's, it's okay. happening a week today it's is happening it? a week today Luton Town's AstroTurf pitch a random conversation could we get the pitch back a very famous pitch of course from 1985 to 1991 we will be getting the pitch back regardless a week today right live on Three Counties Radio uh, the AstroTurf hotline has been very very busy we need to hear from somebody called Gary Dowler again it sounds like Crime Watch this yes Gary, if you're listening, we need to hear from you. Uh, he tweeted us yesterday saying that he hasn't got the penalty spot, right. but he has got the touchline. So, <laughs> Gary, we need to hear from you. Ex-players like John Dreyer, Mick Harford, they're going to be involved. If you have got any of the old Luton Town AstroTurf pitch, please can you ring this number 08459 455 555. We need to hear from you. Do we, ha- do we have a-, a location of where we're going to rebuild the pitch? Well, hopefully it's going to be uh, Stopsley, uh, the new sports centre up there, £26 okay. million. Pounds. Hopefully there we're going to get a goalpost, we're going to get some fans up. People it's can come along and day. watch, can't they? They can come along and watch, Brilliant. so whatever happens, regardless if we've only got 5% of the pitch, it, it will be happening a week today, I- live on your show. I've just realised that, that, that I've said if people want to go and watch, what they'll be watching is a bit of fake <laughs> grass being put together <laughs> and some old men standing on it hey, if you want on. to go and see that it's going to be historic justin i'm holding i'm holding him to that now because delia has been teasing us with this this astroturf carrot for a long long time and they just dawned on me yesterday i thought well, hang on a minute he keeps banging on about this can we get this finally sorted out thank you justin we shall uh, we shall hold you to that um, what have we got here? Emails, yes, about uh, waiting for an ambulance. We had that case, didn't we, about that 99-year-old lady who had to wait over three hours for an ambulance to come and help her after she'd fallen. Uh, and I wanted your stories, good and bad, about ambulances. I- I've called them a few times in my life, and they've always been excellent in terms of arriving within minutes, uh, and-, and the staff have always been superb. 
Um, anonymous email. I had to call an ambulance last night for my 18-year-old having an asthma attack and chest infection and trouble breathing. They were here within eight minutes. The paramedic told us he really did not want to send her to hospital due to the fact he was a fast response driver and there were six ambulances stuck at the hospital waiting to offload casualties and there would be a long wait before one was even dispatched to us. He was brilliant. Thankfully, my daughter was a lot better after his help and treatment. So this morning, I have to try and get a GP appointment. Oh, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, and M has emailed 3cr at bbc.co.uk. I live in a retirement complex, and uh, here we frequently have, call, have to call on the emergency services. They are here within minutes of your call, at the most 15 to 20, never longer for an ambulance. We're about a mile and a half from their depot, so maybe the stories depend upon the distance they are from the base. And on text... I live in Harpenden. In the last 18 months, I have called an ambulance three times, twice my little girl after falls. Then my 70-year-old dad, who was staying, had a heart attack. Oh, my goodness. The services were prompt and staff in the ambulance and the Luton and uh, Dunstable Hospital. But the ambulance from my dad came from Watford, which was concerning. And with further cuts, this could get worse. Martin, thank you for that. What do you do when you can't sleep? Well, for one man from Bedfordshire, it's become such an issue he was diagnosed with a broken body clock. Chris Lockley from Flitwick features in tonight's BBC documentary, Good Night Britain. And the expert's treatment plan for shift worker Chris is also proving a struggle. He just can't get used to the mouth guard. Hopefully I might have a better success It's the third time I've tried it. It's only lasted 45 minutes so far. Because I can't breathe with it. Until he can use it, he isn't allowed back in the bedroom with Charlie. Here we are. It's about day five or six now of this sleeping apart lock. Um, I've I'm not enjoying it at all, and I miss him. I wish he was here. The whole point of this is to try and find a way that we can sleep together more productively. And that's not happening. I'm missing him a lot. Sometimes pictures are really important, aren't they? <laughs> Chris is on the line now. Good morning, Chris. Hello there. You're right. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm confused. I've not seen the, the, the program yet. I'm looking forward to it. What on earth was happening there? What did you have in your mouth? Oh God, I had this. Um, it was a bit like a uh, rugby mouth guard, but yeah. it was designed to push your lower jaw forward to stop your your. Uh, soft tissues at the back of your throat from falling back and uh, making you snore. The old soft tissues at the back of the throat ploy. The, well, yeah. Chris, what was the problem? What, 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 you couldn't sleep at all or, or you couldn't sleep at certain times? What was the problem? Well, the thing is, I, I work um, shifts mm. and uh, they can vary quite a bit. So sometimes I do, most of the time I do 3am shifts yeah. in the morning. And then in the same week I was doing like um, midday shifts as well till nine. So, and then like having a family to look after as well. It just a, uh, ends up just tr- just trying to snatch sleep when you can sort of thing and like when you try to force yourself to get off to sleep you just don't and then when you're snoring as well it's a case of like you end up feeling really knackered as well afterwards so, so you, had, you had two problems one was that you, your shifts were all over the place so you, you you were finding it hard to get into a good sleep pattern and the, the other yeah. one was the snoring yeah. was that that was that waking you up or was that disturbing you no it wasn't actually disturbing me it was disturbing um charlie more than anyone else right yeah, she she so, wasn't uh, that Charlie. Charlie's your partner. She wasn't happy with that. No, she wasn't. No. So no. how when when you're struggling to sleep, what what did, did you go and see the doctor? Did you go? To, how do you deal with it? Well, to be honest with you, I just put up with it really. But it was um, Charlie who put me 
in touch with the uh, BBC to actually uh, go on the programme. So, so why would this... Charlie sounds fantastic, but also bonkers. Why would she put you in touch with the BBC, who, let's be honest, are, are great, but they're not health experts and, and not a doctor or something? Did she no, see an advert or something? True. Well, she saw an advert in, uh, on, the, on the net, which basically said, uh, we're looking for people with sleep problems. And, Brilliant. Uh, there's experts on, on hand to sort of, like, give advice and basically try and cure you. So. Did they do that thing where you have to go, go and, like, sleep in a laboratory and they wire you up? Yes. <laughs> How could you... Cause well, I see that on TV and I just would never be able to fall asleep like that. I must admit, I'd been awake 24 hours beforehand and yeah. I managed to get six hours sleep with that all attached. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> Amazingly enough, I couldn't believe it, but yeah. So what were the solutions that they came up with to help you get a, a good night's sleep? Well, they uh, gave me a a lamp, which uh, they normally issue to people with uh, seasonal affective disorder. Oh, yes. Um, sad people, uh, yes. Yeah, sad people, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, basically, that aims to reset your body clock by you sort of, like, stare into it for about half an hour. And does that book, does like. that work? Yeah, it does. It does actually make, make you feel a lot more awake, right. which is quite good, yeah. But the, uh, the, the best thing what they did was they uh, gave me a, a really good mouth guard made by a company called Somnowell. And, uh, yeah, that that improves several issues that I had. This I is like, this is the top-of-the-range Van den Pla of mouth guards, is it? Absolutely, yeah. Rather than the horrible rubbery things they certified yeah. me out with, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, this, this one, uh, stops me jaw from clicking as well, so it, <laughs> it, it solves an awful <laughs> lot of problems, believe it or not. <laughs> and you've, you, you, you say you've got family, have you got kids or anything? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've got two children, Katie and Lewis, who, uh, I have, um, couple of days a week. How old are they? Uh, they are, uh, ten and eight. Yeah, no wonder you're not getting any sleep. You've got a ten and an eight-year-old. Oh, no. For goodness <laughs> sakes. The funny thing was, one time I was actually asleep on the sofa downstairs, and my daughter got up and goes, Daddy, go to sleep. You're snoring. <laughs> waking me up. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And how are things, how are things with Charlie, your partner now? Is, 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 is it a bit more peaceful between the two of you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a lot. It's a hell of a lot better than what it was. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent, but yeah. it's definitely, definitely a hell of a lot better. Yeah. And has, has the snoring stopped? It stopped on my side, on both sides. Yeah. But if I lay on my back, then obviously there is some snoring, but it's certainly not as loud as it used to be. So and has, has Charlie got full permission to flip you over onto your side? Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel we're, we're about to such a nerve there. Listen, Chris, thank you very so, much indeed. Nice to talk to you. You can uh, see Chris on TV tonight. He's on BBC One uh, at nine o'clock, and his 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 quest to get a good night's sleep. I does. I, I like those programs about sleep because it does fascinate me. I, I love sleep, and I, I don't sleep anywhere near as much as I used to. And I, I, if I could, I would put sleeping down as one of my hobbies. I love it. I just can't do it as much as I used to. But you see them go to these sleep clinics. And they're wired up, and they've got, like, these weird hospital dressing gowns on, and they're, they're, I could never fall asleep in that situation, knowing that someone was monitoring my thoughts. Couldn't have any of that, no. On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, now we've been talking about possible increases uh, in the basic price of alcohol. This is to, to help... Allegedly, help deal with Britain's binge drinking problem that uh, apparently is sweeping the nation. We discovered that binge drinking could mean three pints. And as my friend Scott said, three pints, that's not binge drinking, that's just drinking. It's been a long time since I've had a drink, but three pints, that's just, that was just warming up, wasn't it? 
Uh, Dave is uh, in Luton. Morning, Dave. Morning. Do you think that increasing the price of alcohol is, is really going to stop anybody drinking? Well, I don't know if it's stop. It's more the, the discouragement, because um, with smoking, everyone's argued about that, saying that's not going to stop people smoking. But I think we've seen over the long term, it has really. It puts people off, and uh, eventually it'll stop. I don't think the uh, the 40 pence or 45 pence will really make a big difference to the price of alcohol, but um, at least it's a start, and they can ramp it up from there. I was going to say, because smoking... I mean, what's a packet of cigarettes these days? Eight quid, something like that? Oh, coming up to that, yeah. Uh, when, when, I was, when I was younger, and I may have indulged a little bit in, in tobacco, who knows, but it was, you know, you, you get a packet of cigarettes for pound eighty, two quid. So that's a massive hike. Um, 40 pence a unit, it's a bit... It, 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 it it's feels... not far off what it is already, is it? No. It's, it's already not far off, is it? Mm. So, it's not a massive change, but it's a start, and I think they can start ramping it up. And in the end, if it's going to the Treasury, it's more money to be spent in the NHS to fix all the problems. Is it not punish- Dave, is it not punishing the, the kind of, like, the, the, the sensible drinker, though, who, who doesn't have a problem with alcohol? Because they're going to be paying more, aren't they? Well, that's it. But you could also say for the smoking, the occasional smokers picking up the tab, and yep. for, for the for the drivers, the commuters are picking up the uh, the tab for the um, you know the, the short jollies people go on, and uh, it's we seem to be punishing everyone for everything at the minute. Dave, listen, thank you very much, David in Luton. Don't forget that Jonathan Vernon Smith is continuing to discuss this on the big phone in at nine. He's asking, should alcohol be more expensive? Uh, Daz has texted us. By the way, my friend Scott is now furious that I've, <laughs> I've, I've outed him. Scott text, uh, tweeted me. You shouldn't have tweeted me, Scott. Saying, uh, th- three pints, that's not binge drinking, that's just drinking. And he's now, he's now upset that he's being used as a case study and been told off by a government expert. <laughs> hey, listen, it's, maybe you've got some questions you need to answer about yourself, Scott. Uh, Daz has uh, texted in, alcohol price rise, no, no, no. Why punish the majority because of the alcoholic minority? Lower the percentage of alcohol in some drinks and make less corner shops sell alcohol. You can buy it anywhere. That's part of the problem, perhaps. Uh, we're talking about cycling as well. Would you like to see more cyclists on the road? Uh, David says, don't add to the hate of cyclists, mate. We pay road tax too through council and income tax. That disc on motor vehicles is a pollution tax. Pedal cycles are clean. But... Um, a lot of people, David, would say that you're dangerous. Uh, and uh, another Dave says, uh, are all cyclists called Dave? I don't believe cyclists realise how vulnerable they are and that a car takes longer to stop than a bike when they decide to pull out in front of you. Friday, while in a traffic jam, a guy in his 20s came zigzagging through the traffic on his mountain bike, using the cars as his course instead of just riding straight up the cycle lane. But if he was hit, it would be the car's fault. As a car driver, I have to take a test to show I'm able to drive and use the roads. Why don't cyclists? Dave, it's, it's, it's a, an interesting point. Thank you everyone who took part in today's show. It's always good to get uh, your emails and your phone calls, even if we don't agree. It's nice to have a little Barney from time to time, isn't it? It's nice to have a little argument. It kind of wakes you up, makes you feel full of life. I like that. I'm going to have an, ar- have an argument now with a member of staff. I don't know who yet, but someone is going to fill my wrath. Stay uh, tuned. Jonathan's up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thankfully, I'm on air, so it won't be me. Thank you, Ian.